Wherever you are in the world, welcome. I'm Kevin Abdurrahman. This is How Do They Do It? If this is your first time tuning in, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Here's why. Every episode, I sit with a guest, a beast, a game changer, a great mind, a leader, or just someone whom I admire and would like to have a chat with. If you resonate with a specific guest, I would be grateful if you review and share it because it will make their voice heard. And hopefully, more people can get inspired, get informed, and get going. And oh, by the way, I might not be doing this for long, but for now, I take summary notes of each conversation. So, if you do like the podcast, you can go and download the summary notes to any specific episode. Simply go on kevinabdurrahman.org forward slash podcast. I hope that with any given conversation, something sparks up in your heart and mind to help you be the best that you can be. Paraphrasing Bruce Lee, absorb what is useful, discard what's useless, and add what is specifically your own. Enjoy the conversation. My guest today is one of the founding partners at VentureSook, a Dubai-based early-stage investment platform which means if you or someone you know is at the early stage of their startup, then you want to pay close attention to this conversation. The group has made well over 100 investments, which means maybe, just maybe, your business or your friend's business could potentially be next. Here's something you need to know about my guest. There is more to my guest than meets the eye. My guest was born in Houston, Texas. He is half Palestinian, half American. He got his BA from Yale. And while at Yale, he did a semester at the American University of Beirut. On his return, he interned at the White House under the George W. Bush administration. My guest went on to serve as a Fulbright scholar in Damascus, Syria. And then he spent a year as an investment banker in New York until things got disbanded because of the crisis and he found himself in Dubai. That was 2009. Most of his time after that was spent at Waha Capital, a publicly listed private equity firm based in Abu Dhabi, part of the Mubadala family of companies. In 2013, my guest, along with his investor friends, decided to take the informal club that they had and formalize it. So they co-founded VentureSook. Today, they are headquartered in Dubai with an office in Saudi Arabia and are the largest investor network in the MENA region. My guest serves on the board of the Young Arab Alumni Association and also a number of other private portfolio companies. He's sharp, he's a thinker, and he's an evangelist for angel investing in the region. And most important of all, he's a realist. My guest is an example of someone who set himself up for success, to be in the right place at the right time. His way of thinking is unconventional. He does not subscribe to the cookie cutter approach. His approach and attitude is one where you engineer yourself for the path you wish to travel. If you were to bump into my guest, here are two tips that will get him excited. The first tip, running. He's recently completed the Dubai Marathon and the Ras Al Khaimah Half Marathon. The second tip, TAM, Total Addressable Market. If you really want to get my guest excited, make sure you show him 
the TAM for your idea or business. I've got a ton of questions. Let's get to it. This is How Do They Do It? I'm Kevin Abdurrahman. My guest today is Tamar Kadumi. Thank you for coming, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If I was to chat with any of your former bosses, what would they say or what would you think they would say are three reasons they would have hired you? And you can pick any of the positions. Yes, a good question. I present well. Okay. I think. Mm -hmm. I think I sound good. I come across as being, you know, sort of professional um, and relatable and, and, you know, have a certain ability to sort of connect with people. And I think that's an asset for at, at most levels, actually, at any level. So I think that's one of my strongest character traits is that I just sort of present okay, you know. And if you just do that, then that's kind of like half the battle. You know? Yes, and a lot of people try to do this, but they fail. Right. Did you develop the skill? Because um, this is critical. What you're saying is critical. Yeah. And a lot of people aspire to do it or they're under the illusion that they're doing it and they don't. Yeah, I think that it is um, It's definitely an, 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 uh, not an inherited skill. It's a, it's a learned you know, characteristic. And... Um, but it, pro it probably, you know, sort of builds off of all of your life's experiences. I think in, um, there's a lot of different factors to my life that probably played into it. I'm, I'm part of a pretty big family. I'm the youngest um, in that family. And, um, and so you are exposed from an early age to people that are, you know, communicating in certain ways or, in, you know, sort of ha have ideas that are, that are pretty well, you know, mature ideas and you're exposed to that. I think the schooling system that I went through in, um, in the States, in mm -hmm. Houston, Texas, was conducive to that. I think it's much heavier on, on uh, critical thinking and coming up with ideas and presenting those ideas. And so you sort of gain confidence in that way. I think the university that I went to supported that. I think that moving out of, you know, I have sort of a sequence of life where I move, where I'm in one sort of comfort zone and, and, and move outside of it. Um, multiple times. Mm. Uh, if I have to look back in my life, then that's how I would characterize it. I think that supports that. You know, so, um, so yeah, there's a number of, but, but definitely it's something that you, you develop over time. I, I, I can't say that I've, you know, taken a class on, on like how to present. Sure. Get inspired. Whether you're in Dubai for business or pleasure, the last thing you want to do is blow your budget on accommodation. Which is why I recommend you check out our host venue partners, Rove Hotels. Beyond being price sensitive, what I love about Rove Hotels is the fact that they are a combination of cafe, culture, and just coolness. Even my guests, many of them, when they arrive before we record or after we finish recording the podcast, they actually comment. They go, wow, this place is cool. The vibe is amazing. And it is amazing. So if you're in Dubai for business or pleasure, I recommend you check out our host venue partners, Rove Hotels. This episode is brought to you by M-Dojo. Whether you're in business or new to business, you need three things. A good website, traffic, and being able to convert that traffic into paying customers. That's what M-Dojo does best. They're able to create for you a functional state-of-the-art website, drive targeted traffic, and Put in all the elements needed in order to convert that into paying customers. Isn't that what you want? Of course it is. Give the team at MDojo a call 
and see how they can help you increase your sales and profits. Tell them I sent you. Their website, mdojo.co. But were you conscious of developing this, realizing, hey, this is critical to my success? Because you don't strike me as the kind of person who blends in with the masses. I, I feel like you have a very conscious awareness and attitude of, I need to stand out. Um, However way you do it. Yeah. One of which, what gives it away as well is Yale. Well, yeah. I was actually surprised you didn't wear the Yale jumper. <laughs> I must well, say, I was surprised. Did, did, did you hear the story about what happened in Dubai? No. I... Uh, Look, I'm a you know, I'm proud of, of most of the aspects. I think most people that, that you talk to about me, they'll say that I trumpet, you know, Texas more than I trumpet uh, Yale. Mm -hmm. I trumpet Palestinian more than I trumpet Yale. But there's many different aspects of my life that I'm uh, that I'm proud of. Sure. And I uh, and I uh, you know make a big deal about to people. But it, but they're here in Dubai. Harvard is the is the rival of Yale. Sure. Uh, and it, it kind of like in, in reputation, global prestige probably has kind of the upper hand. It's a bigger institution. And, um, and they have a massive alumni organization here and they host these big events. And, and I'm, it's impressive because I, I, I'm on the board of the Yale Alumni Association and we just can't pull off anything like the Harvard people can. You know, they get all these people, they get all these sponsors, yeah. they book these big venues. and. And, you know, every year they have these impressive events. So one year I got invited to speak at the Harvard event. And it wasn't like they, they, they gave me, you know, a month's notice. I got a call from somebody on their side and asking, hey, do you want to speak at the Harvard event? I said, hey, that, you know, that, that would be cool. And, uh, and I said, when is it? And he said, it's tomorrow at 3 p.m. Welcome to the Middle East. And, and well, no, it's like, it's not that they hadn't been planning it. It's that whoever they had been planning dropped out. And probably the person, the, the replacement dropped out. Like I was probably the third or the fourth person down the line. And it's like, can we just get anybody who's going to be willing to come up and, and take part in this panel? So it's like, I got it. Yes, I understand what's going on here. And uh, like I've planned events before. I know you don't tell people the night before the event that you want them to present. I am option D. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I said, uh, I would love to, uh, you know, I would love to attend. And I'm, and you know, I can, I can, I can be there. And so I, uh, I get there and, and I, and I get to the panel and there's like three, four people on the panel and the, uh, and the, the, the moderator, he introduces us on our behalf. And uh, so he says his thing, and then and then he starts asking questions. Of course, I'm like the last person that he gets to on the, for the questions. You can tell my, by my undertone, I feel like I'm being snubbed. This entire thing, this entire story, is about me being snubbed by by Harvard. But he gets to me on the, uh, with the last question. And he says uh, something generic. You know, oh, Tamara, could you talk about innovation in whatever? Can you talk about startups in the MENA region or whatever? Just the most generic question that you could. Could ask, and I, and of course, I say, you know, well, that's an that's an excellent question. Um, you know, before before uh, before I uh, address the question, um, if I could just say a, a few words for, to to the audience, I just want to say it's it is a lifetime, it's a lifelong dream come true that I would be invited to speak at a Harvard event. Um, really, something that I that I never thought that that, that would happen, and I'm so I'm so pleased that it's happening now. And um, before I get to the to 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 address the, this really <laughs> poignant question that was asked um there's something that i'd like to get off my chest and i stood up and i unbuttoned i was wearing a button-down shirt and i unbuttoned the shirt and i rip it open superman style and 
Underneath my button-down shirt, I have just a, a Yale hockey shirt on. And then everyone, you know, kind of laughs and cla- <laughs>, laughs and politely claps, and they think it's funny. Told you, cutting through the noise. And right? then yeah. after, after everyone is done laughing and clapping, then I reached out behind the seat oh, no, and I pull over, uh, pull on a Yale hoodie sweater on top of that, just to add like extra emphasis into what I'm doing. And then, and then I, then I sit down and just deliver the, the generic answer to the generic question that I got. And, um, I'm sure you would have been memorable. It was awesome. Yeah. Okay. It was fantastic. And then after the funny thing is that like probably, you know, 20, 30 people came up to me whispering, Hey, you know, I didn't go to Harvard either. Hey, I just want you to know that I also like, I went to Northwestern or I, I went just snuck in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, one of the, I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to come on a podcast and tell that story because it's a, it is, it, it, it's not a lifelong dream to be invited to speak at a Harvard event, but it is a lifelong dream to be able to, to, to prank Harvard in such a public way. You know, it really it meant a lot to me. It would have been fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what, what was the question? I, we're I, I what were we talking about? <laughs> okay, the question. No, you're talking about present, presenting or, oh, oh, the fact, you know, you, is this Qualities, a conscious, yeah. yeah, was this a conscious like, uh, you know, ability that yeah. you... I guess I would refine the question just saying, when did you realize it to be conscious? Or like, when, at what point did you realize you realize it and you became a lot more conscious of it? I think in, uh, you know, at a, like kind of like the second half of your teens, you start, you start to see like differentiating characteristics. Mm. And you start to see that some people are... Um, comfortable getting in front of people and some people aren't some people are unnatural when asked to you know when when put on the spot and some people kind of just can respond in a fairly natural way so at that point i i kind of like i was fine you know i was always i, I from as, as soon as i was sort of aware of that as a as a differentiating factor then i it, it was like you know there, I, I don't. I didn't really feel a lot of pressure in getting up and sort of like, you know, communicating right. or conveying an idea or being challenged, being questioned. Um, I, you know, I, I, that's. I'm fairly confident. I, I'm not. I'm not totally um, self-conscious. Sure. You know, and I think that that's that's probably most of it. You know, that there's probably high correlation between, you know. Uh, you know, being self-conscious and, and being able to get up in front of people and present. Mm-hmm. Most people you see, when you get them one-on-one, you really can connect. I, I find that it, it, you really, that one-on-one you can break down barriers with almost anybody. Sure. You know, if given the right time and circumstances, you can really relate to, to people one-on with almost anybody one-on-one. Um, but there is, uh, so that's, that's not what makes someone... Uh, um, like whether they present well has no bearing on whether they're an interesting person sure. or, or, or a, uh, you know, or have interesting experiences. Yeah. But this is the thing, you know, I'm a public speaking coach Ooh. and one of the things, a lot of leaders or CEOs or what have you, they realize that they're being judged. We say never judge a book by its cover. Right. But we do it all the time. Yeah. So if you're unable, especially if you're someone in position or you're in the limelight, if you, people have an expectation of you, we kind of just make an assumption that 
if you are, say for example, the co-founder of VentureSook, I have an expectation just from the title that you'll be able to communicate that message effectively to me if you go and stand up or you're presenting your thoughts. Anything below that expectation has an effect on that brand value. And it's just the reality, people do it subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something that, that I need to be aware of. And, we, and, and I want to make it clear also early that I'm not the sole founder of this group. Sure. You know, there, really, there are five partners. Yes. And we're all, you know, equally strong. Yes. And, 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 um, and our roles are, you know, we're all founders. Yes. Which is another important point that maybe we can come back to. Sure. The nature of, um, of managing an organization where there are, you know, m multiple people in charge. This is not, there's no um, authoritarian structure here. There's no, there's no one person who can just, you know, make a decision and then that's what we do. Um, so that's, a, that's, that's another point. Get inspired. One of the questions that I get frequently asked is, Kev, how can I increase my motivation? We see great individuals, we see achievers, like many of the guests that I'm bringing on the show. They have the energy, they do so much, they're in a state of flow. How do they do it? Well, my team and I have released an article which I've made available on kevinabdurrahman.org forward slash blog, the ultimate biohacking guide to increasing motivation. Or you can simply Google Kevin increase motivation and the article should pop up right at the top. It's absolutely free. Read it, and most important of all, take the bits and pieces that are relevant to you and apply it into your life to increase your motivation. I hope you find the article of value. If you do, feel free to leave your comments and also share it with your circle of friends. Again, you can Google it, Kevin Increase Motivation. It'll be the first link that pops up or on my website, kevinabdurrahman.org forward slash blog. Okay, well, why don't, we, why don't we, we go back to that aspect of the characteristics so it's been communicating well or communicating your thoughts and yourself well yeah. and confidence yeah yes yeah communicate you know the fact that i present well is yes. number one um for someone who's hiring number yes. two is that I, ha I i i'm aware that i have a certain like i have the right like pedigree meaning mm -hmm. i have the like i have the right cv the cv the cv like looks good yes relative to others yes and um, when you were you conscious of this as you were going through school and university? Yeah, that I was. That I was. Okay. That I kind of I, I attempt. I, I tried hard to kind of like engineer that. Um, I, I wasn't trying to be um, totally um, cookie cutter. I wasn't trying to be totally template. I yes. wasn't like, but I was aware that you need to, it needs to look good. What you, the the trajectory that you take needs to needs to look good. Yeah. Um, that was something that was not in my scope. When I was going through school, right, I absolutely had no idea. Yeah, yeah, and that also is a function of the advice that I got. You know, I had really, I had, two, I had, I had an older brother and older sister, much older, mm -hmm. you know, thirteen and fifteen years older than me. Who, at the time when I'm kind of coming to, you know, be aware of what's happening in the world, they're like going through that. They're going through like college, you know, applications, and then you know, getting jobs mm. and, and, and there, and then you get it by osmosis and by, and by direct, you know, instruction. Okay. You need to do this and you need to do that. And, uh, that's a, there's, that's been a huge impact, you know, a huge, huge influence on my life. It's kind of what they, what the older brother and older sister told actually me. told you to do. Yeah. 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 But the fact that you were actually willing to listen because many times we're told something and we fail to listen only to realize 20 years later, I wish I listened. Yeah. 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 But they were old enough to where 
like I had to listen to them. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? That you know what I mean? Yeah, so number two is like that, that you know, the, the, on paper it looks good. And then number three is I work hard. You know, I, I, I kind of like, you know, I bust my ass and I, and you, and, and I guess that one way to demonstrate that or one way to like, uh, to, to prove that is, is like, hey, can you take my word for it? And, you know, look them in the eye and say, yes, I will, I will work extremely hard. Okay. And then the, and then the other way is for them to, you know, validated by asking somebody else, you know, so that like, then it, of course, everything is underpinned by uh, reputation. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I work hard. Like I'm not a, uh, like, you know, I do my own work and I, and I bust my ass, yeah. you know. But I know you work hard today. Yeah. Right. Because you've got a track record. Plenty of people also know that you work hard. Yeah. But if you're at the early stages and you are a real hard worker, not just someone who talks but you are a hard worker. What would be your suggestion for someone so they can show potential employers or investors that you can bet on me, I'm a hard worker. I might not have the answers, but I'll figure it out. Like you, what would you suggest to that person who doesn't have the track record? I think it's pretty easy. I think that you can identify what is a pain point for any organization that you wanna be involved with. Mm -hmm. Not just a company, you know, a, uh, like if you want to work in, you know, for a, for a politician, if you want to, uh, get involved in a nonprofit, if you, you know, want to join some sort of a club, it's very easy in any organization. It's, it's, it's easy to identify what, what they need. If you can't identify what they need, then you can just ask them, what is it that you guys are, you know, struggling with? Yeah. And, and so you can get that, you can, you can get that information very, very easily. And then you can just produce something for them. You can provide something of value very, very easily. If you really want to work for, for, for anyone or join any group, then you can before, like the first step is giving them something of value. Like here's a presentation on the pain point that you told me or that I think that you have. Yes. Or here's, you know, some, some other like thoughts that I present that I prepared in the form of an email. Or here's me coming to you well prepared before I sit down with you, knowing what what you should need to address. So if you if you take the first foot forward and say I'm gonna provide something of value to you, then that demonstrates competency and it demonstrates like a little bit of hard it it, it does it goes a long way to demonstrate hard work. You know, that that you are deliverable oriented especially if you give them something uh, uh, like tangible yes right? tangible yeah. then you're de you're you're deliverable oriented which is very very important mm. and that you work hard enough to prepare for this particular interaction yes so it's not hard it, it reminds me of the conversation we had with um heba fatani she's the uh, senior executive manager at um his ruling office um the ruler of ras al khaimah mm. um sheikh saud Mm -hmm. And she was saying the same thing when she had a meeting with him and he had big plans for Ras al-Khaimah and, you know, he was considering to have her on board. Uh, she had actually gone, gone in with a full presentation. She goes, whether I, I get the job or not, because I do have that passion for Ras al-Khaimah, I went in with a full-on presentation of whether you take me or not or whether this works out, here's my thoughts of what we should do to put Ras al-Khaimah on the map. Yeah. And, yeah, you're... That suggestion of yours, that's amazing. And also the fact of what you said, which is really critical, 
if you can't find it, ask them. Yeah, yeah. That's powerful. It's just, it's so subtle and simple, but it's significant. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm saying first step is figure out what it is, what what problem do they have that you can potentially address. That you almost take for granted. It's like you definitely, that's definitely a, 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 a precondition to yes. like if you can't if if you if you haven't thought about this enough to to figure out what problems we're having then there's no point in applying i think a lot of people get caught up in the procedural mechanics of of like admission yes and and and, and i understand why you know as a venture, as a venture capital firm a big part of our job is you know we review uh you know, we've probably seen over a thousand companies in the last two years. Okay. And, and so you have to rely on sort of pattern recognition. So can you give me a, a, can you, can you show me a, a um, description of what you've got that fits within a box so that we can take, so that we can take that information and compare it to other companies that we've seen, you know, we want, we want to be able to fit a, 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 a business plan into into a, a mold and then compare it to the 15 other business plans that we've seen that fit that same mold and then we can drive meaningful analysis on that. Is that better or worse than the other 15 that we saw? What is the average of this or that or this metric? And is this company higher or lower than that? Fine. So, so and the same thing with college applications and the same thing with job applications. So the, 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 the person who's accepting will want to see, give it to me in a standardized format. And, but if you really care about that job or you really care about that admission or you really yes. care about that Investment. investor, then you will go, you, you, you will satisfy the, you know, that. The framework the, the requirements, framework. right. But you will also go out of your way to differentiate yourself and provide value to that institution and, or, or to that group in a way that is, uh, that, that is unique and that, and that makes you stand out. You have to, you know, of you kind of have to do both. Of the thousand that were submitted, very few would have stood out. Could you perhaps share with us a couple that stood out and for what reason? Yeah, I think that if you want to be sort of practical about how deals move through an organization like ours, mm-hmm. it is the warmth and the strength of the source is a major, major factor. As much as I would love to believe that we are totally quantitative in how we assess and totally systematic in how we evaluate, it's just not true. And I don't think it would be true with, with any, any firm that kind of does what we do. Yes. It, you, are, you are putting a lot of the momentum behind any particular company that comes is, is, is coming from where that is coming from where that originated okay. who's the person who introduced us to this do we trust that person mm. and if so then we're going to take this so you're talking opportunity about a, seriously. a referral referral yes That's the, the referral. yeah how do you make, what the what the what the source is what the source is you know yeah a referral so not just like a cold approach cold if, I, if i wanted to get your attention as an entrepreneur with an idea just for just to get your attention it could be a no but just to get your attention from a thousand submissions, are you saying that I shouldn't approach you cold? I should find perhaps someone that you trust? Yes. This is also that, that, that is, I can, I can like, I can like, I can, I can answer that 
question with an unequivocal yes. Okay. You know, I can answer that question. And that's why I paused. Yes. Yes, I can unequivocally say yes. If you want to get someone's attention, then look at your first degree of separate, look at your first circle yes. and figure out whose first circle is in that. And, and that's almost like sales. That's like, that's like basic sales strategy. Yes. Like one of our companies. Slash LinkedIn Navigator. Yes. I mean, that one of our, one of our like portfolio companies, he, he, he emailed, you know, he had a, we had a long sort of email chain, which was, I'm, so basically what he did is he went all the way through my LinkedIn and said, you're connected to this guy. He looked for everyone, all of my connections who worked for any Fortune 500 company in the US. And here's, you're connected to this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Half of them, like, I don't even really know. Sure. You know, half of them are, are close acquaintances that I'd be happy to make an intro. Half of them you don't really know. But for each of them, he put a, a, an intro email that said, and what this guy did was, uh, like, it was a software to help companies with receivables. So they've provided a service. Their, their client hasn't paid them yet. And, and that's, that's a whole thing. You know, the way companies manage receivables is like a big, it's a big part of, of a business. Yes. And it's something definitely as an investor, you want to evaluate how good are you at collecting the money that, that that's owed to you. But, um, but he went for each of these companies and did an analysis on what their receivable cycle is. You know, on average, I can look on their, on their, uh, they're all publicly listed companies, sure. Fortune 500. So, so they can, all publish the their financials. Yeah. And I can see that you're, collections are moving out like you're, it's taking you longer as time goes on to collect as your as your revenue grows it's taking you longer to collect or you're coming down or your payables versus your receivables are moving in a certain way so he had this like spent the time to yeah look for at each, each of one. them yeah and then and then it was like no it was like yeah okay no problem if you're if you're giving value up front to the guy that you want me to introduce you to then one, yes, it's a uh, uh, yes. You're doing the right thing by doing it via a warm intro, which is which is me. Yes. And two, you're doing the right thing by giving them something That's that right. they can use to start the conversation. You know, so yeah, absolutely. You you know provide yes, use a warm intro and and do something to demonstrate that you that you care about about this particular introduction. Yeah, for sure. Oh, this is powerful stuff, man. I hope. You know, I hope. 100. It, it sounds, it's, it's really simple, but what you're saying is it's really significant. It's got a lot of weight on it, yeah. Yeah. When yeah. It sounds simple, yeah. it's heavy. It's just people are lazy. They don't want to put in that work. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yes. I mean, I think people are lazy. People are um, kind of foolishly hopeful. People are, they self-aggrandize, meaning I can't believe, like, shame on People, same on company that they don't respond to me. Shame on, you know, investor that he didn't Where reply. In reality, to. it's on you to yeah. get their attention. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's You're right. not even in their orbit. So you need to find a way to even get into their orbit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's on you. That's on you. It's on you if someone doesn't reply to you. You know, that's kind of like, yeah. it's on, that's, well, we get that in our business, like in our company all the time. Yeah. I sent an email and, and so-and-so didn't reply. Yes. That's your fault. Like if you... If you didn't, you know, if, if, if you didn't follow up or you didn't, or your email wasn't like worthy of attention, like everyone's got 50,000 priorities in yes. a day. 
So how do you stack it? Like how do they, how, what's at the top of your list to do? And you're only gonna get through five of them. So how do you, like, how, how do you, you prioritize? Make it to that top five? Yeah, and that's on you, asker, to get yourself to the priority of the person uh, that you're trying to get the attention. Well to. said. Yeah. This requires a lot of, it requires stamina. So it requires you to be emotionally, mentally strong. How did you develop that strength? Especially playing the game you're playing. Because even if as someone who has an idea or perhaps is seeking for a job, it's far easier and lazier to just send a thousand emails that are just templated and we'll never get your attention because we'll never make it to the top five. Right. Right. It, but so that requires a kind of mental strength to be able to go, I have to go this slow, but I have to do this proper. I have to research Tamar, find out where the pain point is, give value. Yeah. Be still be prepared not to get an answer. Do the same for the next person, but knowing that I'm doing this right, at some point I'm gonna get the response I need. And that requires yeah, that kind of emotional strength and mental strength. Yeah, it's um it's persistence. You know, persi persistence is uh you can call it emotional strength. Mm. You know, it's the same, it, it's it's the sure. same thing. Yeah. It's uh it's the, the the act or the characteristic of persistence is associated with what quality in a in a person, well, the emotional strength to be persistent. It's like if you care enough about the thing, you should just do it. I don't I don't know if I, again, I don't know if it's something that I've developed. It, it is something that I've developed, but it's not something that I conscientiously like worked on. It's just if you care enough about the thing that you're doing, then then that should be an output, not 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 an input, I think. From the outside, it could seem that things may have been easy for you. Can you give us context of perhaps a time, a point in time where you've had to apply this? We're going through it right now, where uh, there's something that we want, and I'll and I'll and I'll refrain from going sure. into detail on what that is, um, and we keep on getting those, but we but but we do have feedback. So you you could get you could get a no. And that no and, and you learn when you get that no, you learn from from you learn why you got that no. Yes. That's also on you. It's also it's on it's on you to to analyze, to look at to look at all the different data that comes from any response from anybody and to take that and, and analyze it and respond to it. So um so it's that is that is something that we're going through now and we have to be persistent because we because we have a goal and, and that's what we're going after. Yes. The challenge that we're facing right now is that that goal maybe does not have uniformity in in the persistence of, of each of the individual members of the group, if that makes sense. Sure. So it's like we as a group need to need to demonstrate this persistence or, or, or this uh, or this emotional strength and sure. continuing to iterate to, to 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 get the thing that we want. But when individuals vary in their level of of persistence, yes, then you you have a situation where some people are maybe carrying or some people are sure. you know throws a spanner in the works, it, it, and, then, and then that and then and then then you really test the robustness of the of the of the of the team. Yes, you know. When so that's 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 uh, kind of um, an interesting situation that we're going that we're going through yeah. right now. Yeah. Since you brought it up, there's five co-founders. Yeah. Adventure Souk. Yeah. How do you manage to have five co-founders without butting heads 
or do you headbutt? No, 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 no. We butt heads, of course. Yeah. But it's an asset. It's there is a. Um, What's the framework for that makes it work? Because this can easily be a, you know, the kind of formula for an explosion. Uh, it, it, it could be. Right. An explosion happens when you get uh, when when there's a, a uh, you know an increase in pressure when it when it when a situation or a, or a, or, a, or an environment has, faces an increase in pressure yes. with no release of that pressure and then it gets so strong that that that, that it pops. So definitely communication is is the is the valve that releases pressure every time. You just sure. have to you just have to have structural methods of communicating with one another about what about what you're doing. You know, that's that you have to. And so what's, I'm keen to know what would be the framework of success or framework that has worked for you guys. So, for example, yeah. oh, sorry, I'll, yeah. I'll jump in. you have like a procedure in place, like a go to. Yeah. Guide. So we do like like the reason that um, this we were supposed to kick off at at uh, somewhere between 10 and 11. Yes. We have every day we have a call. We have a stand up call you know everyone in the company not just the partners but everyone in the company gets on the call or if you're in person that you get out of your seat and you and you spend 15 minutes just telling people what you're doing that day and the main purpose of this is to catch cross meetings so oh i'm going to be meeting with so and so oh i oh you're meeting with kevin abdurrahman actually i was on emails with kevin abdurrahman cool. like 3 months ago so that's so then when I come to you, I go. Oh, by the way, I know that you were. At so it's like almost like a in-person CRM. You know, you nice. just you just here's who I'm meeting today. This is great. And who and here's who I met yesterday. If there's any cross loop, it's intended to catch it, and it's also a chance for people to say what they're working on, so that you know someone like me or one of my partners, we can start. We can we can we have a we have a grasp of who's spending too much time on what. Like the, if you're if every day someone says I'm working on this initiative. And, and Buddy, you've been on this for three months. Exactly. Exactly. And um, and we and we we take attendance on that. And uh, and and there's a lot that we we could do on that. But that just do that. That's like just do that. Just 15 minutes a day. Everyone is on the call, and they're all just talking. And That's and it, a good and, it, one. and it and it really it means like it. You'd be amazed what kind of like sacrifice. How frequently it comes up that something gets in the way. And I and I really push everything. No, no, I cannot, like, from 10.30 to 10.45, I, I this just This is a cannot. must. Even yeah. when we can sit down from 10 to 10.30, I will step away from 10.30 to 10.45, and then we can continue from 10.45 for another half hour, something like that. You know, it's, it's like, it's important that everyone is sort of religiously doing Committed that. Committed to this. Because that's yeah. a one point in time, there's one period of time when every, you know, in the day that everyone is talking. Yes. We're, you know, more or less a virtual team. We have an office in, in JLT, but people don't come into the office every day. We have people in Saudi. So, and, and people are moving around a lot. So that's really important to keep people on the same on the same page. But even if you are totally communicating, it doesn't negate the the eventuality that there's going to be competition for prioritization. Sure. Even if you're perf even if you're communicating total perfectly, you still one person is going to want to do one thing and another person is going to want to do another thing. And there, it's I was on a panel and the uh, a, a, the former CEO of Etihad Airlines said something he, he like alluded to this very interesting point he said the chinese model the chinese sort of economic growth model is is built on four pillars four are like fundamental pillars the first is centrality of leadership centrality of decision making number two is availability of mass availability of data 
Meaning forget about GDPR or any of that crap. You just, we're going to collect data from everybody doing everything. Number three is a belief amongst all participants that data drives decision making. Mm -hmm. Meaning it's, we, so, so one guy makes the, draws, uh, uh, you know, makes the call. What's based on the facts and the figures. We're gonna, it's, it's based on data and, and we, have, we have all data that we need, we could ever need. And there's no like barriers against any, like all data is fair game for us. We are gonna use that data to make our decisions. And number four is perfect fluidity of the labor market. Meaning we can move people, there's liquidity in where, pe in where people go and do what. So we can very, very quickly and easily move shift the economy from one thing to another, shift the company from mm. one thing. Those four things, that's, that's the Chinese growth model. And, and you can say that it's good or not good or morally okay or not okay, but it is an effective system at some level, right? We are not, at least on number one, we're not that at all. Mm. We're trying to get there on two and three. Yes. You know? um, and then on, on number four, it's not really... Relevant because we're micro and that's a that's a macro kind sure. of thing. But on number one, we are democratic. Mm -hmm. We are not we're not you know top down. One person decides. How does it work when a deal is put forward, or say for example, one of the founders is excited about a deal? What's the decision making process? Yeah, well, before, so, 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 yeah, but before, guys, yeah, yeah. Before I get to that, I want to say that <clears throat> what's the flip side? Like, what's the other? Like, what's the benefit of a democracy? Of a democracy, sure. and that's that's. Like to total motivation of all of the all of the participants, everyone feels that they can go and push as yes. hard as they can for their own thing. So as long as we are we are swimming in roughly the same current, you, the, the the strength of what you can do is is there there's there are okay you're multiplied by the number of partners that you have, but also because you're synergistic with each other, it's maybe many many multiples of that. Mm. And so you, it's like, which one do you want? Do you want, see, and you challenge each other and you come to wiser, you know, you, you ultimately, there's wisdom in, in broad-based decision-making where there could be short-sightedness or blind, blind sure. spots in, in, you know, sing, single decision-making. Um, but it's, so it's like, which, what do you, you know, which one do you want? They're both, there's arguments for both of them. Yes. Now, and when you'll we, have some days where you're leaning into one compared oh, to the other. There are many, many instances where you think, oh man, I, you know, I wish that, that just one, one person was in charge and could just mandate this, we're, we're doing this. Mm. And then everyone just kind of fell in, fell in the place. Like I wish that there was a, there was, a, you know, a chairman who, a, you know, some make the final omnipotent decision. guy or girl who can just say, boom, that's yes. what we're doing. I and think I heard this on a podcast. It was Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz mm. um, having a chat and or one of them was speaking about, <clears throat> about having a system in place where whoever brings the deal in, they can do their best in terms of, you know, pitching it, why they believe in it wholeheartedly and so forth. And then it was the role of the others to pick holes in it. Yes. But I think if that person was adamant about still going through with that deal because they believed passionately about it or for whatever reason, um, they were able to do so and then everyone would come and support that decision. Yeah, so, so they we, would do their best to negate it. Right. And then if they agree, oh yeah, you're right, I didn't think about this, it is not a good idea, or no, I still firmly believe that this is a good one, then everyone would line up 
and push for it. Yeah, we had a so now to get to the second part of the question is how do you deal with 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 decision making when when people are at odds? We it, we 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 we've stuck to the the rule that everyone needs to be on board for every deal that we do. Okay. And so what that results in is is lobbying basically. Like you need to convince the other partners that what you want to do is the right thing. Venture Suk on Netflix coming real soon. Yeah, that's right. This is this is this can be great for real life TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, look, it's like I'm Tamer centric person because I'm Tamer, and that's the only like. Sure. Worldview. So of course, I think everything that I'm doing is the, is the most interesting and most important thing in the world. But I do think there is like, if I try to be objective, it is a, it's a it's a supremely interesting case study and one that is. It, that is of relevance because we've done, you know, we have we have been until this point we've been a, a successful, you know, we've been a successful group. Now, if everything yes. crashes and burns, then the, the the interest level in the story would would go away. But until now, things are going well, yes. so it, it is an interesting case study. Um, there was one rule that we created, and it doesn't really come up now. But at one point, it was if. If there if there's a if there's a deal that someone brings, and keep in mind, like maybe I need to introduce this by the business model. The business model is most funds, they raise a pool of money. Yes. They're sitting on that money, and then and then the that money gets deployed. So right. that's a uniform pool of capital that goes into a number of different deals. And so different partners will maybe go and source those deals, and they're applying to an IC. The IC is the is the is the the investment committee is the you know custodian for the money and then that's that's how there's a decision making process we are until now we've been deal by deal meaning if if we decide that a deal should be done then it gets shared with our limited partners and then they decide to invest into that particular company so there is a there is a our decision is not to invest yes or no it's actually to it's actually to present the deal to our investors as an as an opportunity. Mm. Does that make sense? Sure. Yes. And so we made the rule at one point that, irrespective of whether everyone is supportive of this particular deal, if someone brings, if if a partner brings a deal, and that partner is going to put his or her own money into that, then that is strong enough of an endorsement to show it to our investors. Meaning, even if 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 we are not participate if, if we don't uniformly agree that the, that the that the that we should do that deal mm-hmm. which means that venture souk as a company is not going to put money into the deal but an, an individual partner is then we will we will go and sort of present that as an as a venture souk opportunity mm-hmm. does that make sense sure yes so that was one kind of way to let's say marry the propensity for people to go out and do their own stuff you know i'm i'm interested in some other thing that maybe is outside of the interests of the group yes okay don't do that bring that in bring bring don't don't resist the temptation to go and do your own stuff have everything flow through us as a group because it makes us stronger if, yes. if we if, if if everything comes to us but having this whole you know a number of founders is, is powerful it's a double-edged sword yeah right it really limits the blindsidedness yeah of things you know things that i wouldn't have thought about for example oh yeah i didn't consider this i didn't think of this aspect having you know five brains look at it and bring in all their experience to the table yeah i mean 
let's let's look at the flip side. Let's sure. look at let's look at organizations where there's a single person in charge. And by the way, there is a there is kind of like an unwritten rule, and maybe even at this point, it's it, it's written, you know, in textbooks about venture capital and entrepreneurship, that be weary, be very very weary of single founder companies. Mm-hmm. Have you? Has, that's has right. Yes, it's, that? a, it's a thing in uh, Y Combinator. Yeah. Right. Like Sam Altman. Yeah. From Y Combinator, he right. says it. He like, says that if you turn up. First thing they'll tell you is if it's good enough, go find a co-founder. Yeah, and a lot of people think that that's, or I, I, well, I should say I, I thought you take that as at its word, I guess, but you don't really understand why they're saying that. You don't until until you until until something happens where you're at risk, and you and 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 you can and you look back and you say actually that is the reason. So I thought. You know, most of the time, conventionally, you think, okay, that's a that's a that's a capabilities thing. Like, you can't do it just as the CEO. You're going to need a CTO, chief technology officer. You're going to need a, a CFO, a chief financial officer. From a capability standpoint, you need to assemble multiple people so that you can deliver on what you say you're going to deliver. Mm. Um, but that's not the main thing. You could do that. You could have one founder who then hires three, four people underneath and solve the capability problem. What we have learned recently, like in the last like 12, 18 months, is we've had a couple of companies that like are not doing well. And you look and you start seeing patterns in those and what, what's going on with those companies. And, and multiple of them Multiple of those companies have been single single person in charge. Either they started as single person in charge or they became single person in charge because someone left mm-hmm. or something. But you end up in it with an organization with a with a, with basically one one founder in charge and then everyone else underneath. That founder it has has really full decision making authority. Because in most of these businesses, you have a board, the board is there for protective guidance, advisory purposes, but not really control. The control still sits with the with the founders. Mm. That's the that's kind of the, the basic uh, proposition of these of these venture back companies. So you have one founder who really is the decision maker, and then and then uh, and then they are um, facing a, a, an issue. You know, they're having a hard time raising money, or or the business isn't doing what it should, and all of a sudden you see a couple of a, a couple of things happen. This is what we've seen. One is there is like a fictional weight that starts being assigned to the board. Like they create what there is like the board is now like is now presented as some major decision making group where it has not been before then. When things are going well, the person makes the decision fine. I don't consult the board. That's fine. When things start going poorly, all of a sudden it's, I can't make any decisions on my own. I need to get the boards okay. I need to convene the board. I need to attempt to convene the board every week or every two weeks. Mm. And the board needs to say if I can do this or not. And, and, I, and I think that that is a response to, that's a deflection of decision making. That's all of a sudden, I want there to be someone above me who's, who's responsible for this because the pressure's all on much. me. Yeah. yeah. The second thing is a total disassociation of the professional identity from the personal identity. You start seeing that with the single founders. That uh, my life is still awesome, 
Like, don't let my, yes, maybe I'm under pressure professionally, but I'm still like living it up, you know? And you start seeing that in social media and, 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 and uh, in other ways, it's like a, it's like a, 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 a clear Illusion. disassociation yeah. of, of that. And then number three is like the wisdom of decision-making. It becomes like it, 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 you know, it becomes pronounced that it's just not there. You're under pressure and you are therefore kind of making decisions that aren't well thought through. If, I, if, if Tamara has an idea in his mind, I, I may think that it's very clear. Mm. But actually when I start to articulate it to Kevin, when it starts coming out of my mouth, it, oh crap, it wasn't as clear as I thought it was. Actually, when I start saying it, I, it's not, I wasn't as clear as I thought it was in my mm. head. That's like, that's level one. That's uh, just having someone do, as a sounding first, board. first derivative. Yeah. Right. The second is when you actually t take it from your mouth and try to write it down on paper. Then you, well, crap, when I was talking. It sounded when I was so sound, good up here. It's, it sounded, it's, it's, it felt good in my mind. It sounded okay when I, when I articulated it orally, but when I try to write it, it actually doesn't make like, like you can't, those lines cross this way. That doesn't make yeah. sense. So what you need, like, that's why it's kind of like the strongest, most well thought out ideas are the ones that are just like, artic like articulated on paper. Here yes. you go, here, here it is. Because you're just forced to think through issues when you, when you, when you go. But they, with these, fa with the, with the, in these situations, it's almost as if the decisions are made without having any kind of like sounding board. Mm. And it's hard for the board or any of the investors to be that sounding board. Because our, our instinctive reaction is to say, listen, let's work through this together and, and I'll, be, I'll be your sounding board. Let's just, you bounce ideas off of me. You, it, that's very difficult. There is posturing. There's always posturing between the founder and the investors. You cannot expect any, any founder to, to, to be on equal there's always posturing. There is. There's always there's always spin that the founder is going to give to the investor. It's very very rare that you find total you know straight from the camel's mouth transparency between them because mm. you just need something from them. You need to preserve a certain narrative for the for 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 the investors, uh, and 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 that 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 gets compromised if you are total if they're if they're totally in the weeds. Sure. So, so those three, you know, you, so, you start seeing the flip and it's like all of the, all three of these things would be mitigated if there were multiple people that are in charge. If you didn't, if there was, if, if there was shared responsibility and shared solution from multiple founders who were all in it, in it together, but for the single founder, you start seeing it's not that the, it's not a capabilities thing. It's that the pressure becomes so immense that it's all on their shoulder that they just start like making bad decisions start doing the wrong thing you know that's what that's kind of what we learned about this single founder thing so that you know for us we got we've got five partners sure so that's you know it presents a, a world of, of of difficulty sometimes but but it also um i think it's probably our big you know it's definitely our biggest asset as a group you mentioned articulating your thoughts and then writing it down do you have a habit or do you have a discipline of doing this on a regular basis? Yes. So perhaps prior to a meeting, do you take some time to yourself and you write it out before going into a meeting with, with the co-founders or when you're presenting an idea or? I should, but I don't. Okay. I do it when a problem is already there. Huh. And it's like, 
it's like problem resolution. Okay. It's at that point, okay, let me, let me take the time to write out all of my thoughts so that it's clear. It's like, there's already a problem. There's already an argument. Not only the problem is already there, there's already a disagreement. Back and forth. Yeah. Yes. And, and that disagreement has, goes in multiple turns. You know, you get, did you watch the presidential debate by any chance? The, the, you know, they have the democratic presidential yes. debate. Yeah, I US. didn't watch it. No. You, you know, Michael Bloomberg, yes. you, know the story, you know what's going on with Michael Bloomberg? The fact that he's, he's, he's willing to, he said he's going to give away his billions and he's running for yes. president. Yeah. yeah. But he, so there's, there's kind of like a process to run for the democratic seat. Okay. And, and Michael Bloomberg has said, I'm going to circumvent that. I'm just going to buy my way directly okay. in the public. Like, I don't, I'm not going to go through the party system. I'm just going to blow hundreds of millions into direct advertisement to people in the main cities that matter. And, and then I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to circumvent the whole party system. So the first time that he actually participates in a debate amongst all of the democratic candidates was last week, maybe on Wednesday or Thursday. Mm -hmm. It was clear from the debate that like he didn't have the ability to debate. Like he just didn't, like he wasn't prepared to debate. So he's getting hammered on one point, right? And then he has to like now think about what the response to that point is. As he's thinking about the response to that point, another point is being made. So he's trying to both listen to the, oh, I'm getting hammered on another point, but I'm still formulating what my response to the first point yes. is gonna be. And then it, you could just see, and, then, and at one point he's just like silent and he's just being berated by Elizabeth Warren, who's like this, you know, like, very strong, you know, uh, academic who's, who's, who's like well seasoned in debates at this point. Yes. And, and totally, so he just, he just like totally came flat footed. You should watch it. It's actually almost like humorous, but my point is an argument. Once you get into the argument, there's so many layers that you like, there's so many different points that are brought up that yeah. you can't really, it's, it, 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 and both sides are just going to keep, you're not going to meet each other here. You're going to bring up this point. That person's not going to respond to that point directly. They're going to respond to, to some tangential point. And then you've got to... You need to so, be prepared. You can't escape yeah, this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So step back. Let me just write out all my thoughts. Here you go. This is, this is where I'm coming from. That's when I write. And I should, maybe I should uh, preempt any sort of disagreement with my written thoughts, but that's not what I do. I just, I, I, it's, I respond to something that's already come up and maybe it's like too little too late. Sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Get inspired. Imagine if you could present yourself, your thoughts, and your ideas with clarity and confidence. Imagine if you could speak to influence and impact. Imagine if you could communicate like a commanding and charismatic leader. Well, you can, given the right information and the investment of effort from your end. How do I know that? As a public speaking coach, I work with CEOs, world leaders, and presidents. And when they hire me, they expect nothing short of results. And over the years, it's been two decades now, two challenges have risen for me being unable to help the majority of people. I'm usually on a plane, with the majority of my time being booked a good year or two in advance. And my one-on-one -on -one session to work with someone in person generally starts at $20,000. So we solved the problem by making my public speaking course available for you online. Everything that I teach my clients when I'm working one-on-one, -on -one, thoughts, 
tips, strategies, how to do things, all on video, all sequenced in the right order for you to be able to watch, re-watch, practice, and refine your presentation, your speaking, and your overall communication skills. And guess what? You will get results. Now, you can have this course, not for the $20,000 that my clients pay me when we work one-on-one, -on -one. you can have it for $9.97. That's right, just $9.97. You might be thinking, well, why are you offering something that you charge $20,000 for, for $9.97? It's simple, because those who want to work with me one-on-one -on -one will still hire me. But for many whom I might be out of their budget, this is a great way to develop their communication skills, to cut through the noise, to rise above the rest, and to beat their competition. If you're serious about wanting to develop your skills, to be able to present your thoughts, your ideas, and yourself with clarity and confidence, to be able to speak, to influence and impact, and to communicate like a confident and charismatic leader, then this course is for you. Go on to kevinabdurrahman.org forward slash course and get started today. This sounds a lot more realistic of how most people are. Right. You know, it's like uh, resolution based as opposed to preventing it. Yeah, that's right. You know, having a um, structure in place where. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And th that would be like, that would be my number two on the here. Tamar is a, he's an angel investor evangelist. I am a, like, I'm a realist. That's, you know, that's, I, like, I respond to things and I treat things as they, I try to treat things as they really are. Mm -hmm. And I don't make any sort of normative judgment on whether it's right or it's wrong. It's like, that's the way it is. There are certain, and, and that's how you should be crafting your strategy. Sure. Is knowing how, and I think the best people, the best marketers, the best uh, CEOs, are going to craft a strategy around that, not around what theoretically you think should be the case or not. Yeah. And as a, so then as a realist, what would you say is the real scenario that we're looking at here in terms of ecosystem that's different from places like Europe and the States? Like personally, I, I, yeah. I find them to be quite further ahead. Yes. But what are the realities we're seeing today? And perhaps then you can take us through your vision as well. Sure. It's a challenging market. Yes. You know, they all are. But that's why it's an opportunist, opportunistic yes, of market, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's tons of opportunity. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 the fundamental challenge is that you have 350 million Arabic-speaking people, something like that. Yes. You know, but 350 million people that live in the predominantly Arabic-speaking countries. Yes. And these companies, is, you know, the, the, the basic value proposition for any of these companies a startup company is that they're they're coming to the market with a new with either, either a new product or service or a substitute for an existing product or service and they offer usually one of three things they offer better quality more convenience or lower price mm. and all three of those things come at the expense of margin meaning if you're if you're offering, if you're a company and you're providing one of those three, three things, then it probably means that you're going to make lower margin than what the existing guy yes. is doing. Or there's a good chance that that's the case. That, that that's the case. And so... That's a fast battle to zero. Well, not necessarily. What you need to be able to do is you need to be able to, you need to, be able to scale. You need to be able to sell to a large number of people. Mm -hmm. that's, that's where it works. Now, if you set up in, the, in San Francisco, 
and you set up you know a company and you, you build a product or, or start delivering a service uh, you go through all the trial and error you raise capital when you get to the point where the product works and by the way you you burn bridges in your home market because you're you're delivering a product or a service that sucks because it's just you just started yes and so everyone in that home market hates you but as soon as it works then you go to Chicago and then to New York and then, and then Miami and then Houston and then you got the whole country of 350 million people that you're selling to and, and you're, you're in business. Mm. Here, if you build a product or, or, or start delivering a service in Dubai and it works, until now, it takes a lot of effort to get it into the next place. And then a lot of effort to get it into the place after that. The likes of Kareem, for example. When they, when they did well, the, yeah, they had to adjust yeah, still and function, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the that's the Kareem case study is that they figured out, and that's really what we look for is companies that that know that have demonstrated that they can execute across borders. And there's all sorts of of constraints that these borders create. There's you know banking constraints. There's regulatory, meaning you need different license, licenses. Mm. There's corporate structure, meaning you've got to be owned in a differently different entities that are set up. There's telecommunication constraints. You know, you you have to get different you know plans with different service providers. You can't use voice over IP because it's blocked in some countries. So even if we're an hour flight difference and we're both in it's the not GCC, a unified market, yeah, yeah, it's not a unified market, yeah, and so. And so now you're going to build a company that is offering more convenience or better or lower price or, or better quality for lower margin. And it's going to sell to, you know, 3 million people in Dubai or eight and a half million people in the UAE. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You don't, you need to be able to sell to a large market. It's question number one. It's evaluative point. Number one for any venture capital firm is show me the TAM, the, tangible addressable market mm -hmm. how big is the market that you can sell this into is number one even before team yes even before like product it's what is the market that you're playing with so here you have a lot of people who who say that 350 i'm selling to i'm, I'm going to sell to from morocco all the way to you know all the way to iraq get inspired you know this by now that we are the number one YouTube show slash podcast that's coming out of the Middle East from Dubai. If you like the idea of having your brand reach at least a million eyeballs per episode, then feel free to reach out to my office on kevinabdurrahman.org. Without further delay, let's continue this great conversation. And the moment they say that is perhaps a red flag because you go, they have no understanding of the challenges. Right. It's the burden. Or do you feel it's education? Yeah. yeah. It's not a red flag. I mean, the, the, like we, it's our thesis. Yes. Our thesis is that, that those constraints are going to go away, mm -hmm. are going to be maybe not structurally removed, but you're going to have business models that are flexible and adaptive enough to be able to work around them like Kareem was. Yes. So we are, our, like our thesis is that you are, we are going to work, there is, we are m moving towards a unified market. Sure. And by the way, so, so that, but that's, that's like challenge number one. Yes. It's like we, and let's, let's just be aware that that challenge exists. Challenge number two is top down versus bottoms up. The, the, and what I, what I mean by that is the U.S. 
you know, tech market is consumer driven. It's a bunch of companies, not all of them, but many, many of the companies have, have sort of have, have built up their strength by capturing and owning the consumer. The, 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 it, more and more. And the game is who can own the time and attention span of the, and the wallet of the consumer in a stronger way. More people and, more, and stronger grip on those people. Mm. And here, the, for a number of factors, for, for a variety of factors, is much more top-down driven, meaning the, the, the economic decisions uh, and the way that the economy moves is driven from the, from the government down. And so you as, you as a company are, you know, you need to evaluate whether you try to go around the government directly to the consumer or you just go and become a service provider to the government. But it's an awkward dance that these startups need to do. If you go directly to the consumer, you could risk tripping up some regulatory monopoly or, or oligopoly that the government has in place. Yes. The banking sector, for example, is owned by a dozen, in this country and in all countries, is owned by a dozen, half dozen or a dozen incumbent legacy banks that own everything in financial services. They do everything for everyone. And by the way, because they've held such a privileged position for so long, for decades, their push to innovation has been less urgent than maybe a US bank who is getting hit on all sides by little fintech providers that can go directly, that can take customers from them. Yes. If they're providing marginally better service, okay, we'll go, we'll leave Bank of America and we'll go and join you know, XYZ Digital Bank in a second. Here, they, you're, from a regulatory standpoint, you're prohibited. Like Those banks are stuck. They have a certain number of licenses. The government won't issue them to somebody who's not one of these legacy banks. Those banks are now fat and happy. And these little innovation, innovative companies are blocked from doing anything. And so that creates a challenge, but it also creates a massive opportunity, mm. just a massive opportunity. But you just have to, like, that's just something that you... you a reality you have to be aware yeah. of. Yeah, and then the, 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 the third kind of, like, reality is, think about this. You have the U.S., okay, you have urban and rural dynamics. You have um, northern, southern dynamics. You have, uh, you have different characteristics in different places. But if you think about the UAE or Saudi or Qatar, the GCC... This region is, has one of the highest GDP per capita in the planet, and compare that to Egypt, who have, you know, 90 million people, but one of the lowest GDP per capita. Try to come up with a service or a product that will sell to both of those segments. Mm. You really need to be innovative. You really, if if you find a company that that cracks that, how to sell to both Dubai and to Cairo, it, with equal effectiveness then you've got a you've got this like flexible responsive product that is unique like that's where innovation is going to come from it's trying to solve in, in, in one market which is mina try to solve these very different use cases and if you can come up with a banking product or a or a you know publishing product or a, or a f and b product that, that works in those two markets, well, then that's a pretty 
that's a pretty interesting like deal. That's a pretty interesting sort of like uh, you know organization. Yes, and and a much larger TAM, so yeah. to speak. Right? And, and and it's a TAM that becomes interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of uh, challenges, but it's it's also super dynamic. It's just changing all the time. It's just all the time. You know, Saudi right now is the most interesting place in the world. Yeah, it is not. It's they're they're coming. You know, the, 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 it's a big population. It's not some banana republic that, you know, is, you know, it's, they are supremely important from a geopolitical standpoint. You know, one of the most important players in the world from a geopolitical standpoint. And a huge group of them, I think, are under 25, right? Is it over 50%? Yeah, I mean, those statistics, yes. The, I don't know what the statistics, what, 70% yeah. or under or whatever. But yeah, they're, they're young. You know, yeah. the, all the statistics that all of the sort of like jaw dropping statistics that people point to about the about the demographics is that they're young. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, and the, and it's and, and it is also top down and 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 they're and they're sort of moving at such a fast pace that it's almost tough to keep up with what you know, how do we respond to what they're doing? Mm. Uh, and that's for us, and that's for for any company that's going in. How do I respond to the regulate? What do I do? I go through the process of applying for this license, or are they just going to change the license, you know, in the next like six weeks mm. to something that's even better for me? So shall I wait? Shall I go? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned innovation. Yeah. And especially someone in your position and your group, because you get to see or you have a lot of pitches come to you saying, "We are innovative. We're this. We're that." There is BS innovation. It's said, or it's you know, sugar-coated as innovation, and you're going, this is not innovation. Hmm. And then there is real innovation. Hmm. What's that distinguishing line for you? The to go, oh, no, you're just talking rubbish. It's not innovative at all. Like it's, it doesn't matter if it's necessarily innovative or not yes. for us. It matters if it is. But it, it has to be in some some way, shape, or form, right? It matters if it's scalable or not. Okay. So it's like if you take a, if you, you know what I mean. It's like what, that's what we're trying. We're we're trying. We're trying to place bets into companies that are going to be really that are going to that are going to grow really quickly, and that means that they there's a there's there's a metric that you often look at, which is called your your customer acquisition cost, and and that means how much do I need to spend in order to bring a new customer in. Fine. Okay. And so let's say I'm an e-commerce company and I spend, uh, you know, $20 on a Facebook ad. Let's say the way you would really look at it is you would say, I'm going to spend $1,000 on Facebook ads this month and it's going to bring in 20 customers. So it cost me 50 bucks. So it's 50, 50 bucks is my customer acquisition cost. And one of those guys is Kevin, who, who, who I brought in through my Facebook ad. Kevin makes one purchase and his purchase is 75 bucks. Mm-hmm. So that's my average order value against my, against my customer acquisition. My, my average order value, which is his purchase of $75 against my customer acquisition cost. I'm in the money. Mm-hmm. That's good. I then follow Kevin because maybe he comes back in the next week or the next month, he buys something else. So I'll follow him for 12 months mm. and see how much he spends. And maybe he doesn't just make the one purchase for 75 bucks. Maybe he makes 10 purchases for 75 bucks. Right. So now Kevin's so worth now 750. Kevin spent 750 with us against a customer acquisition cost of $50. So that you in, in the, the, the rule of thumb is that, okay, that 
you want the, the and, and, and the 750, you call, you, you effectively, you project out how much Kevin, you think Kevin will spend over a lifetime. Sure. And there's a, there's, there, there's, there's, there's finite nature to that. You're not going to assume that he's going to spend the same amount all the time. You, there's a, there's something called a churn, which, okay, there's a rate by which people stop buying from you, but you, you, you do some analysis on, on, on how your customers are, 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 are behaving and you develop this thing called the lifetime value, LTV, mm -hmm. lifetime value of the customer. You then divide the LTV divided by the customer acquisition cost and that gives you a ratio. Rule of thumb, if it's higher than six, then it's, they're doing great. You know, okay. if Kevin is, if we're, if, if we're spending 50 bucks to get Kevin and he's given us 300, 300. bucks, then, then, hey, this thing is working. You know, there's some, there's this, this, this is, this is positive. So now you are then determining the growth of the, of, of, of where that company can go. You're now invest, you're investing into that 50. So if I, if I, meaning the customer acquisition cost, mm -hmm. if I buy, I give you 50, I'll invest $50 to give me one Kevin. But if I, if I invest $50,000, I can get a thousand, then I can get a thousand Kevins. Right. And then what does that do for my business? And by the way, if, if I can make the same margin for every purchase that Kevin makes, which is he buys a fat boy chair, and then it goes to Aramex and Aramex delivers it to him. So net net we're making out of the 75, let's say we're making, you know, you know, $25 net. Mm. If I can sell those thousand to Kevin without hiring another person, mm. Kevin's just going to buy. And it's just all we're making is $25 for each purchase without, without a single additional unit of overhead. That's a tech scale. That's right? scale. Yeah. And that's using technology to scale because you're, you're not, you're, you know, maybe, maybe you don't own the inventory. You're, it's just on consignment and you're, that's it. I put my hands up. I acquired Kevin because I'm good at Facebook, at, you know, digital marketing. And then I figured out my supply chain and I sit back and now all I got to do is, buy, you know, invest into the number of Kevins that I want and into business. Nothing innovative about that. But if it works, if they demonstrated they can execute, then that's interesting. So it's not really, it's, 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 it's not really a, insofar as innovation leads to more of that, more scalability, then, and, 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 and there's positive correlation between those two always. But insofar as innovation leads to more scalability, then absolutely, yes, we want something super innovative. But we're not investing into something just for the sake of it being innovative. It could be innovative, you know, it's, it's innovative, it could be innovative, but totally uneconomical to do. You know, it could be, it's innovative to, to shoot people into the moon at this stage, but maybe you, maybe you each, you know, maybe like, we don't know if people will pay the cost that it takes to get them to the moon. Sure. In that case, it's not, we don't want to invest into it. Some people, some people may, some people may make the bet that no, that's going to tip, like the, the price of getting people to the moon is going to come down and the price that people are willing to pay is going to go up. So all of us, like at some point in time, it's going to become a super, sure. super and I'm willing to pay today. that. Yeah. Yes. I'm willing to pay, put that bet now. Maybe. You know, maybe. And by the way, I'm not saying we would look at it. So all of you people listening who have an idea of shooting people to the moon, we'll, we'll take a look at it. Make the, make the argument that you can scale it and, and it's something that would be interesting for us, for sure. For those who have pitched to you or are going to pitch to you, for them, you know, hopefully they'll get your attention some way or another and they'll have something of value. What are you saying yes and no to? So what are the immediate no's and what filtered through as a yes for you to have a sit down, to have a look at, 
for you to take to your co-founders and then ultimately to, to you know, gather that investment and provide that kind of seed funding? The immediate no is, is an idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Guess what, Tamar? I got this amazing idea. Yeah. Yeah, the immediate no is something that you're trying to go and raise money prematurely for. And, and there's nothing wrong with raising money early in the journey of a company. But there is something wrong in coming to and going to a company with something, with, with something that's so like not baked that it's like off pattern. And then you have to make a meta judgment about that person that, look, you just don't know what you're doing. Like you're coming to, you're, you're going to a third party investor so prematurely that, that, that it, 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 I'm not, I'm not judging the, the, the idea that you're bringing. I'm judging you as a person. I'm judging you as a person. You just don't get it. Like you just, you know, it's like going to a bank and saying, here, can you, can you lend me money against this book? And they, and they would say, you just have no clue how a bank works. Do you? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of the filters for me today is just very simple. In such a competitive environment, if you want just to have an opportunity to even, for someone to hear your idea, to even say no to you, have an MVP. You must have something that you can show, like something tangible. Yeah. Like without that, like don't come to me at a business plan. Like I'm not even interested on paper plans. Yes. I, yeah, I think, I think it's just like, and it's just like getting married. Or, which I'm not, so I can't, don't take this as first-hand experience, but it's, it's like, you know, I, I definitely have thought long and hard about the process. You, maybe that's not the right analogy, but, but the... Um, I was excited to see where you're going with yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like, maybe the, I the, analogy works for a lot of stuff, but I don't think it works, I don't, I don't think it works perfectly here. So the, you, if you don't have the resource, that, that's another, that's like number two on what are immediate no's. It's when someone comes and says, I need working capital. I need life expenses oh, to yeah. be covered in order to do this. I need your money to quit my job in order to focus on this. Yeah. And, and it's like, if you don't take the first part, we are giving you, most of the time you're diluting 15 to 35%, meaning, if you're going to back an idea, you're going to put $500,000 mm. and you're going to value the company at the earliest stages at, let's say, $2 million. Mm -hmm. So there was this for, for, forever. And if you think about real estate, it's like there's a hotel. If $100 was the total amount of money that goes into this, to this hotel project and I put $100, well, then I own 100% of the hotel. hotel right? And, and the same thing existed for, for companies. Okay, if, if this company is being capitalized with, with X and I put X, well, then I own X. And if I want to give, I own 100%. Sure. If I want to give 5% or 10% for sweat equity for the person who's, uh, who's um, doing, you know, kind of like operating this, um, then that's, you know, I'm, that's in my good graces, I can choose to do that. But the principle is that the, the, the capital re relates to ownership, to ownership, period. Yeah. Now, what the guys in Silicon Valley did, I, I think, is they kind of flipped the script. You know, they, yes, they were, they, 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 you know, it was the epicenter of technological innovation, but it was also the epicenter of a, 
of a capital funding innovation, mm. which was, I'm going to put 500. 500 is the total amount of capital that's going into this. But, but I'm only going to get 20% for my 500. I'm not going to take 100%. I'm only going to take 20%. You keep the 80. And the 80, the 80 is not for you. The 80 is because I want you to, I want you to use that 500 to grow. And then I want you to go to the market and I want you to raise more money. That's right. So that the 80 then falls now to 65. And then you're going to keep on growing and then you're going to go, you're going to go to the market and raise more money. So that the 65 now comes down to 50. Mm. All the way, you're going to fund yourself through a massive expansion of your scalable product that you've shown to me is scalable. And you're going to, it's a fast moving Ferrari and you're just going to continue to inject fuel, fuel into it, it and yeah. just go. It's a land grab. It's a market share, territorial conquest. Mm. And you just go, and by the time we get to the point where we can exit this thing and it's a billion dollar company, you're going to own 10, 11% of the company. And then there, now that's where we want you to be. When you go and, 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 you know, look, look to list on the public markets, then, you know, public, you know, investors are, IPO investors are going to want the management to be incentivized to own a large share of the company and you're there and, and we're happy. And they showed that that if, if I, if I related to the old capital for equity model, maybe my 500 over time becomes a thousand. But if I do it this way, then there's a chance that my 500 could become 5 million. Mm. You know, they, they showed that, wow, I can really multiply capital if I, if I, if I set up the company in this way. So, so that's what you're doing is you're, 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 you're teeing up a proposition, a marriage between capital and labor that will be conducive to some fast growing engine mm. that will just blow out the, the market. And that's why you need a big market. That's why the, 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 the point that I brought up about them, you need a big market for this to work. Well, if you go and I'm giving you 500 and you're going to keep 80% of the equity, it's worth your time to put that together up front. And if you don't have the resource, if you, if you don't have the savings to, to, to put in 12 months of effort to get this, to, to build an MVP, to get to show early traction, to do customer testing, to put together materials, to incorporate, to, if you don't have the, the personal wherewithal to do that without going and raising capital, then you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> this you is, probably should just wait go get a job yes. and save some money for a couple of years yes. and then do it yes. like there's no, you know it's it's like you need to be that's a smart thing to do there's right. nothing wrong with this right. this is the smart thing to do what right. you're saying yeah yeah there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing wrong with that yeah. at all. And, and, by, and by the way there's all sorts of other benefits that you'll get by being in the workplace you know you want like us as, a, as an investor we want someone with industry experience you know, you want, if you want to, if you, if you've got a great idea and for, and you want to innovate in FinTech, then go and work for a financial services, go and work for American Express. Show that you know the game inside out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This yes. is really interesting because uh, we had Nader Amiri, my friend from, um, who's a co-founder of El Grocer. El Grocer. Yes, I know Nader. And, and that was his thing. Like his tip was, if you want to take a calculated risk and go into business, plan for that risk. Yeah. Right. Exactly what you said. Work, save. Have what you need to do so you've got that kind of runway. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And there's nothing, there's nothing like that. That's not some like revelatory statement. It's just, it's just like sort of practical. But very often ego gets in the way. Yeah. What do you mean? I want a job. I'm. A, I want to be. I want to have founder on my Instagram. Like, 
What do you mean job? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's put my, put my eyes. Yeah, that's you'd be surprised how that's the driver for so many of them. No, 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 no doubt that that is a major additional sort of challenge in the region. Yeah, and something that you you know, I'm a Palestinian, so I can say it. But you know, Arabs are uh, are they, 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 it's notorious the 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 ego of the Arab person is is is, is notorious around the world. Everyone knows that. It, it, used to, it used to be a decade ago. It used to be saying manager on the business card. Now it's the hashtag startup founder. Yeah, I think it's, it's like evolved. It's like the rapper who's the CEO. <laughs> well, Jay Z just raised uh, eighty-five million bucks for his uh, VC fund. Yeah. So here he comes. But um, but yeah, that's that, that's definitely a challenge. There's there's um, there's a kind of level of emotional. Um, there's there's um, weight. On, on the idea of respect mm. in this part of the world. There's a pecking order. There's, there's like, you know, old, almost like tribal affiliations that need to be, um, you know, maintained or acknowledged that, that are impediments to, to like, uh, you know, unbridled growth. Mm. You can't just act commercially. You can't just make a decision that, okay, well, this is, this is better for us, so let's just do it. If you're if you're if you're potentially offending someone or stepping on someone's toes or or you got to be aware of these realities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think that's the case anywhere. You know, I think that's the case anywhere. So you shared a few no's. What would get get you excited to say yes, and then perhaps look into it, and then say another yes, and then be excited to take it to your partners and go, hey, take a look at this. I think we should back this. And maybe you can use one of the examples you invested in as an example of from from pitch to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think investment. that the the credibility of the person doing the deal is extremely important. Meaning, if it's someone who has done something that's been a widely recognized success before, and they want to do something else, then that is that sort of immediately gives credence to the to, to, to the to the deal but that's easy because i can imagine now the founders of kareem the next idea everyone's going to back yes exactly they had kareem yeah that's right but what if the person has no track record right exactly then you there's nothing wrong with that although you've got to start look, somewhere yeah you all yes of course then the burden of of evidence of execution or execution abilities is higher. What that does is that's, that's, those both hit the same, they, they hit the same like criteria on the rubric, which is, which is execution. Mm. If you've done it before, that there's, a, there's a spectrum of strength, okay? At the strongest end, it's something, I've done it before and, I've, and, I've, and I'm like... Results speak for itself. Yes, and at the weekend, it's, I got a piece of paper that says that I can do it. And you want to be close. You want to move on that spectrum closer to this, yes. as close to this side as possible. So I'm not saying that anything is prohibitive. I'm just saying that the stronger you get, this is where you have investor confidence. Yes, yes. Now, if you don't have this, then you can get here. I think by depicting what you want to do, and 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 reinforcing it with a ton of of data, of information that shows that that shows that you know what you're doing. So. Like if someone comes and says, here's how I'm going to execute and I am making this, this is my plan to, like I'm going to enter this market and the reason I'm going to enter this market is because 
I know that the market share is this, and I know that the existing players are this, this, and this, and I know that there's a gap of this, and I know that the I know that the margins that these players make is this, and I think I can undercut them, and I know how much it's going to cost me to acquire customers. And the more you can show that you're guided by, it goes back to the Chinese thing. Like I, I have a tremendous amount of data. I use that data to make decisions, and and I can communicate that to you. Hmm. That's what you want to do. Experience is not there. Back it up by data. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And show that you're not going. I feel it's a great idea. Right. Yeah. No one cares how you feel. No, they don't. Yeah. They really don't. There's no weight on. It. Yeah. There's no weight on. It. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. But you know, it is. There is no. There is no entitlement to. Like it's it's kind of like that question. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yes. But it's not my job as the guy who's like invested to fund you to be your, that starting point. You know, it's just not like you. You know, yes, start from. Why don't you IPO this and then come back to me for the next one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That'll be your starting point. Yeah. So hey, you invested in the guys uh, from Not Standard. I remember when they first set mm -hmm. up. Mm-hmm. That was our first investment. Is that right? Yeah, that was the first. John thing. was one of the co-founders, right? John, John is still. Not yeah. standard. Yeah, the suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I remember when they had started. Um, t take me through the journey. Like, how did you come across them? The pitch, hearing the pitch, why you invested in them? That's my favorite. That's my that's my favorite story. Okay. That was so. I was a was I two co-founders. Two co-founders. Yeah. yeah. And John John Ballet and this guy Matt Mueller, and both American guys living in Dubai. Yes. John was working. John was like parallel. By the way, John's John. From, He's from uh, Ohio, but he's really like a Texan. John, if you remember, we had coffee at the Starbucks in JBR. I think it was just before he had started, or mm -hmm. it was at the early days of Not Standard. So shout out to you guys. Yeah. 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 No, they're doing great. We were friends. Okay. We were like close, close friends. Uh huh. And warm intro. He studied at the University of Texas. Okay. And at University of Texas, he was he was friends with all of my friends from high school. So then, when I moved to Dubai, he's oh, you gotta you gotta meet John. You know, he, so then we became you know very very close friends. So we're like in parallel jobs. I was working for Waha Capital, which is basically you know you're a financial analyst. You're behind the desk most of the time. You're doing work. You know, a, a big transaction comes up, you crunch the numbers, and that's primarily your job. And he was doing exactly the same thing for a group called the Abu Dhabi Investment Company. Invest AD, they called it Invest AD, rebranded and called Invest AD. So here we are living parallel lives, buddies. In the in my free time, I'm, you know, just kind of whatever, messing around, going to the beach, you know, hanging out. And he starts working on this startup. I don't take it seriously, but it starts like working. It starts getting traction. Getting traction yeah. and stuff. And then he starts asking for favors. As an example. He would say, he would say here I built this financial model for my for my you know I would get all these anecdotes oh we went to Satwa and the guy pulled out a flame and start, tried to burn the fabric but he couldn't which means that the fabric is good you know he's like, and it's kind of like interesting but then he starts asking for favors here's the cash flow model but it's not I can't it's not it's not tying I don't have time to look at it can you please just spend an hour and tell me can you figure out what's going wrong and then another favor that I'll never forget. He said, I'm, "We're going to we're doing a road show in the states, and we're gonna we're gonna rent out hotel rooms at nice hotel. We're gonna rent out little like you know uh, meeting rooms in nice hotels and invite people to come. And we're gonna have scotch 
from doers. We got doers to sponsor and we're going to give them scotch and we're going to take their sizings. So can you tell all of your friends in Houston to come to my thing? They did the same thing in Dubai. They, yeah, they did. Yeah. So they, actually, I was at one of those as well. Yeah. yeah, and then he's and then at some point. Damn, I should have invested. No, listen, listen. So he <laughs> said, he says, um, at that point, he said, "Look, I'm going to ask you for for the next like two years. It's going to be only favors that I ask of you. I will make it up to you some other time in life or That's, in some future life. But I want you to know it's going to be only me asking favors." And you like, I'm, can will you please, you know, do those favors for me, and I'll make it up to you. That's what he's. This said. is communicating well. Yeah, yeah. This is an example of communicating yeah. well, like being upfront about it. So then it like starts to work, and he continues to ask favors, and he says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and raise raise a seed round of funding." So up until now, it was just self funded. Yeah. So and he's still asking these favors, and and I find myself part of me wants to help him, but a big part of me really wants him to fall flat on his face. Okay. Like here's this dude, parallel life. He's now going to go and raise money for a startup. And here I am just the chump, like still sitting behind the desk. And so like, he's still asking favors, but I find myself like, Hey, did, you know, he'll follow up. Hey, did you, did you email that guy that I asked you to? Did he say anything? And I'm like, like lying. Like, Oh yeah. Like I, yeah, I emailed him, but like I didn't hear back from him. Oh, you know, so, oh, sorry. Yeah, I, um, no, I don't. Uh, yeah, he hasn't written back, but I hadn't even emailed the guy. You know, it's like, and then I'm like, what the hell? Like, what am I? This is messed up. And like, I want to want, I want to want, want to, to help, help him. him. Yeah. And so I went up to him and I was like, let let me, um, you know, let me give me shares or something, or let me invest. If you want me to actually email, and then I'll, like, yeah. yeah. And then he was like, John was like, well, I don't know, man. I only got big guys who, uh, you know, there's only big guys interested in investing in the, I don't know if I can accommodate your, you know, just your little thing, you know. And then, and then I'm like, please, you know, please, John, let me invest. It's totally messed up. So then he's like, okay, fine. So then I invested, whatever. I invest $25,000. And then um, and then the round closes. He raises a total of $250,000. And like, I... I was the biggest, like, there was no one bigger than $25,000. And then it's like, oh, dude, screw you. Like, with that. Like, he pulled you in real yeah, good. Exactly. Yeah, he pulled it in good. Exactly. And then after that, I make this investment. They have a dinner at the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in, yes. in, in the marina. And, uh, and, and they have all the investors come and everybody wears suits, you know, and like, and, and, they, and they do a, uh, yeah, and they do it. They have an, they have a report, a quarterly report with spiral, nice. with little spiral. And here's our numbers for the quarter. And everyone eats and talks about how great they are. And then afterwards, I you take the you take the thing to, to away, and then I go to a party in the marina, and I start showing all my like, hey, look at my look at my startup. I don't know, did you see did you see my startup? Look at my startup. See the see the performance of the truth to your Arab roots. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then and like everyone at the party was like, hey man, like what did you do? I want to get in on that. This was 2012. 2000. This was in 2012. End of 2012. Hey, what did you tell me? Hey, I want to get in on that. You know. And that's, that, that was the start of uh, Ventures. Ventures who started as a, as a little club of people that were, we did Informally, like, you guys yeah, were just investing playing, into, yeah. into friends, friends of friends and friends startups. And, and Not Standard was the first one. And, and then, you know, and that's like, you know, four people sort of coalesced into the people who were kind of doing most of the work. And then three years later, we quit our jobs and, and, and started doing it full time. 
So, uh, so that the whole thing is uh, so it, it and not standard. Friendship, not, friendship driven. Yeah, friendship. No, no, totally friendship. No, that and that's that's like definitely something that we take a lot of pride in. We're a, we're we're a completely organic, self-built, independent firm. We really take pride in the fact that no, we are, we are our own people. We're independent of any particular sort of like big backer. Um, and that's good, you know. That's 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 good. You know, personally, for me personally, that it, it it means a lot. You know, that's where that's that's a big part of my pride. One of the questions that you asked was, "What do you what do you consider to be your like your a main, milestone?" Main or, achie- yeah. yeah, and that's or an it. Accomplishment. Yeah, that's it. Is that I feel like now I'm my you know I'm my own man. We'll see. We'll see how things evolve. But at the for the at right now, I feel like I've got. A, a, a strong thing going, and it's and it's mine. It, it, it belongs to par- it belongs to partners that are that are that sure. Are equal. You've, you've sown the seeds. Yeah. You've worked on it. Yeah, yeah, and it's growing. Yeah, yeah. What what's another example of perhaps where it's, where it started cold? So you you know you didn't have the benefit of something like knowing John or having gone to the same university and having that kind of mutual friendship, where it was really very much perhaps you guys are friends today, but. It was. It had to follow through the parameters that you guys would have set. You know, I think that the company that the 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 success story that you asked me about during the break, right. Frontier Car Group. They were out of Germany, was, right? They was it out of the, the, the the team founder? was based in Germany. Okay. But they really operated in the frontier markets. Yeah, big, big, interesting frontier markets. And when I say big, I mean like the. The population size of the sure. markets that they operated in. Indonesia, Pakistan, the 80 Nigeria. Million, the 80 million plus kind of. Yes. Markets, and yeah. so, and, and, and the service that they were offering is, was not terribly innovative. They were a used car marketplace. They are exactly like Selenicar, if you know Selenicar. I was just going to say, is it Selenicar.com? Same. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that when we met them, and, and so, and so what, what was it that ticked up? What was it that sort of like got us excited about that? One, the source of the intro. The was guy, refer- so the was guy, referred. yeah, the guy who brought it in was um, someone that we trusted a lot, and it was kind of like if you know if he if he's saying it's good, then we then, we should look then, at it. Then we'll take it seriously. And then you meet the guy. So then the the stage that we invested was after it was like after the Series A. At that point in time, you have real. Traction. Sure. You have real. You're able to see real data. This is how. This is how they're performing, and it was phenomenal. The size of the market was was massive because they were in all these big, you know, interesting markets. And then they had to give evidence to their ability to execute. They had. They had like. They had. They had hit off these partnerships that were that were brilliant and potentially enormous. So they had Shell had. All of the downstream distribution for for petrol in Sub-Saharan Africa—not all of it—but they had a huge presence in like gas stations in Sub-Saharan Africa. So these guys had cut a deal where they would just put their own—they would latch their own service with Shell across all petrol stations that Shell owned across Sub-Saharan Africa. Yes. Then they had a deal with Uber where they were going to finance. The cars that Uber drivers could use in order to take people on rides, and then they would be paid back 
over time by the Uber by the by, by the, the income made, the, yeah. yes. So they had they had set up these like super interesting partnerships. And you were coming in a series B, so you could see the track record, exactly, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I mean that but it was a it was it was not a warm intro, but you put a, I mean it, it it was not a first degree person. It wasn't a, it wasn't in my immediate circle. It was an intro. Mm. But but we we took it very seriously on the strength of the intro and on the and on the demonstration of their ability to execute. Mm. And that's and 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 those were the main once those two dom- and, and I met the team, the team was phenomenal. But once those two kind of like dominoes fall, then there's a good chance that 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 it goes through. Have you made any wrong decisions? Yeah. Yes. Would you share? Tons. You and you can take this in any direction, personal, work-wise, in any directions. Would you share one? And perhaps once you made that decision, how did you adjust or how did you pivot your thought process to? Moving on from it. I ask the question because very often we assume people don't make the wrong decisions. And if we don't have that assumption, sometimes when we make a wrong decision, we dwell on it for a long time. None of which is self-serving. You can answer the question at the surface level, but if you actually think about the question, it's harder. Mm. I don't think that it's... you. I can't look back and say that we made the wrong decision here. We made decisions that turned out to be... that, that did not work turn out, out well. Mm. Going back in time, could I have, could I have, like, could we have done that differently? Could we have evaluated it differently? Yes, for sure. Mm. Um, were there warning signs that become clear in retrospect? Yes, of course. Always. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but did we, was there, was there a point in time where, like, we took a step that really hurt, uh, like, directly hurt us? Not, not anything that I'm going to go back and feel, feel guilty about. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that we could have done that we didn't do. There are a lot of things that I could, if I, knowing what I know, you know, years later, I would take back in a sure. second. Yeah. But there's nothing that's it's like... the value of wisdom, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's nothing that it's kind of like, I think that, um, that, we, that we, just, we just clearly did the wrong thing at that time. I think, I think, I think our, our moral compass is pretty, is pretty straight, it's pretty clear. And I think our commercial judgment is safe from a, it's, it's balanced. Okay. Meaning we, we, we challenge each other, we got, five, we got five people that are all challenging each other. And if you can convince, if, if those five people are convinced that something is good, then that's a, that's a pretty good like that's a huge flip weather. side. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a pretty good bellwether. Mm. You know, it's a pretty good indicator. Yes, that, that it's good. I wanted to ask you this question, and I I forgot. And that is um, a scene that became really popular, at least in my mind, was on Shark Tank, where O'Leary keeps, you know, when someone asks for funding, they'd be like, "Oh, I want a hundred thousand dollars for ten percent," and he's like, "Does that mean you're valuing your company at a million? It's not worth a million. Mm-hmm. So I've set this up to ask you the question: How do you? When you're making an investment, how do you come to an agreement in terms of valuation? And people that might just have their heads in the cloud, my company is worth 10 million, so your million only gets you 10%. Yeah, there, there are, I've got a long, I've got like a list of 10 different ways to evaluate the, the valuation of a company. Mm. And the short answer is that it is negotiable. 
It's, a, it's, it's something that is agreed by the company and the investor. Like peer, the market price is set in, in, the, in the money being raised. But how do you argue for one valuation or another? I've got 10 different ways to do it. Like you can look at, at, at regional comps and international comps. You can, you can do a DCF. You can do dilution analysis. You can do market sizing analysis. You can do bottoms up analysis. You can do unit economic analysis. And you can and you can use the Burkus method. You can there's there there are ten different ways that you can pinpoint a approximate a tools that you can use to come up with a with a valuation. Ultimately, what you're going to do is you're going to sort of triangulate. You're going to see where those numbers converge, mm-hmm. and then you're going to take it to the counterparty and say, "This is what I think is fair." But and so that's that's what you do. That's how you decide. It is, it's a negotiation, and, and the more data that you can find to support what your position is on valuation, the stronger. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, if we take a stack of paper and, and show it to the company and say, this is what we think your valuation should be based on these 10 different pieces of analysis that we did, if you, if you, you set the rules of negotiation clearly, and, 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 and it'll be fine. Meaning, if you disagree with this, then show us alternative numbers that point to whatever sure. number you want. Yeah. And the number of times that people have actually come back to that with something that is like strong enough to defend, it's like, you know, one out of 50 come back and actually say, you know, of course, a lot of people come and say, no, I think it should be higher. Sure. But, but no, that's not Show how we're something. negotiating. Yeah, this is not Copper Bazaar. So the response to, to, to Kevin O'Leary's like method of tell me now that the intrinsic value of what you have in terms of like, you know, assets and liability, that's, by the way, one of those methods that you can look to to determine the valuation of the company is you can just look at the assets against the liabilities that the company has. What does the company own stuff? Does it own desks and computers? Less does it owe money to, to people? Sure. Yeah. Or and they that work is on one way. Multiple of cash flows. Yeah. 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 So there are many different ways. And so for him to say, you're, you're, the company I don't think is worth a million today, it's not supposed to. What you're supposed to be doing, like I said earlier, is you're marrying capital plus labor in some fair arrangement mm. that will set it up in, that will make it you know, amenable for, for, for rapid growth. That's what, you're, that's what you're doing in scalable tech startups. That's what you're trying to solve for at the earliest stages. Mm. So, so it's, it, you would, if, you were, if, you were, if your litmus test was what's the value of the company today, period, and that's what I'm going to buy, you wouldn't, none of these deals would get funded. They wouldn't because none of them are worth what they're, none of them are worth intrinsically today what, 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 what investors, you know, Give they're raising for projected value. Yeah, they're, right. you're raising for projected value and for to preserve to preserve an equity a cap table balance that will allow you to go and raise money in the future. Mm. That's the primary. That's the primary sort of like funding model that people are using today. In business, as in life, there is pivotal moments. How we deal with these pivotal moments will reflect on how much we grow and opportunities we get to see and capitalize on. Could you share with us a few pivotal moments, perhaps in your life, what you went through, why was it a p- pivotal moment, and then how you grew and, and it kind of went to the next level? Yeah, I mean, you can, 
you could start pretty early. There was, when I was young, there, I, I was fairly certain that I would, like I had, a, you know, I had this worldview that was all entrenched in Texas. And I, I just kind of was under the assumption that I would go to university in Texas and then I would go back to Houston and I would get a job. And, and that was would, the orbit. Yeah, that was the orbit. And then, um, and then the removal was at the behest of my sister who was studying in the Northeast at the time. And she said, you should, look, your scores are like good enough. Like you're, you on paper are, you're going to be strong enough to apply to one of these schools and you should, you should do it. And so, and that was, and, and that's, and, and that was the first time they were like, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try to do that. that. That sounds good. It wasn't, I wasn't driving. I wasn't like, you know, um, I, that wasn't a major goal of mine when I was younger. It was just, I ended up in a position where, you know, I, I was fairly competitive. I was pretty disciplined. You know, pops would make me sit down and do my homework for several hours every night. And, you know, that... He forced discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'd sit down. We'd sit down with it. It was just routine. Yes. The routine ended up in me, me being, uh, having, you know, scores, GPA and scores that were, that, that hey, you, you you're good it. enough to... So then going, you know, leaving that orbit, going to the next orbit was kind of like, you know, eye-opening. I think everyone, when they go to university, they have an eye-opening experience. But then, then leaving that orbit, going to another one, I went to Beirut when, when, when I was in college. That would have been rather different. It is, you move from one orbit to another orbit when you go to college. College yeah. is itself an orbit. Sure. And so if you remove yourself from that voluntarily, then that opens it up even more. There's something narrow about landing in a university and then going into the city into the job force uh, in in a, in a cookie cutter type of path yes that that actually is not like there's a there's a potential that you get stuck in the same orbit starting with university yes but that didn't happen you know when i when i went when i went to beirut that sort of pulled me out how did you end up going to beirut like what was the reason? I got a so I wanted to go to Buenos Aires. I wanted to go to I wanted course, to go to Buenos Aires. It's in the same direction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to go. I was like, you know, I really was 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 a big fan of the of Eva, the story of Eva Perón, the story of of Juan Perón was the was the dictator of Argentina, and he married. Eva Perón, okay. and they told the story of this dictatorship from the perspective of Evita, who was Madonna. So Madonna oh, yes. played Evita in the movie, or right? Whatever. But I just thought okay, this was yeah. the coolest thing. And like, this was in Argentina. That was in Argentina. Okay. And I like spoke Spanish, and I thought, you know, I want to go and do the Spanish thing. Yes. And so then I applied for a for like a scholarship to go that would allow me to go to. Buenos Aires for the year, the school, the university would like make funding available if you wanted to go to, to study internationally. And I couldn't get that. Like I didn't get that one. But I could get, because it was a much narrower pool, there were much fewer people that were applying. I could get a scholarship to go to the Middle East. I could go to the Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations Department. They had equivalent funding to give to students who want to study internationally, but much fewer students that were applying. So I went there and they were like, yeah, you can have, you can get the scholarship. So then I basically went to what I thought was the most fun place in the Middle East, which was Beirut. That's, that was the, that was the kind of like, that's, that was the path to get there. But, but doing that, you know, yes, it was extremely 
fun and interesting. And had I known now, had I known then that I was going to be moving to Dubai, then that that was like the mo that was the most prescient move that I could have made. You know, now I've got this alumni base that I'm basically a part of from AUB, and in addition to my alumni, you know, whatever what I got from the U.S. But it's really removing yourself from the orbit, from the from the kind of narrow college orbit mm. that was that was actually more significant. Then because and, after that you find yourself in the White House. Yeah. So then I went. To, yeah. So then I got this internship at the, at the White House. How does a kid get to the White House? As from being from Texas and with a with a Texan in the White House, you just you know through first degrees of, of separation, you find somebody who's got an in. Okay. And you get a, get yourself an internship. Okay, because you know? the move to Beirut wasn't planned, so to speak. Argentina didn't work out, so I'm gonna go to Lebanon. Yeah, but the move into the White House that was planned. Yeah, that was yes. I mean, that was the coolest thing that you could do at that time. What was You're the going, pull? For a time, I considered, you know, maybe I should go and be a, like go to go to Washington. Okay. Go to, like I'll be it. I'll be play at, the game. Yeah, I'll be I'll be there. Like I'll do that thing. I'll mm -hmm. be a politician or. or or an analyst, uh, you know, think tank guy. That was that was one of the career trajectories that I was thinking about, and and going to D.C. and I could get into this internship with the White House because of the network of people. It was all at that time in 2005, the summer of 2005. It was all like it's like the whole city was Texans. You know, it was awesome. It was great. I lived right in Georgetown, and like I, you know, I had this. And I knew everybody. It was true. <laughs> I mean, this is this is kind of interesting. I worked in the HR department of the White House. So the White House has appointment. They they appoint thousands of positions. It's not just the staff there in the West Wing or in the executive office building. There's also thousands of different roles in all of the minister and all the you know and all the. Uh, Departments, they're little ecosystems. So yes, to speak. and yeah. they are all appointed by the executive branch, by the president. He appoints thousands of people, and so he has a system. He has a team that is set up specifically to make these appointments, and they had a very systematic way of of designating who should be of screening who should be appointed to what, and they and they literally had color codes for who the referrer was. So if it was someone from the you know the president's fam family. Then they would be in orange. If they was someone, if it was recommended by a, a cabinet member or an or you know an undersecretary of a cabinet member or whatever, then it would be a red. So they color coded who the referrer was, and then based on that, if, if, it, was, if it was a big donor, if it was someone who had donated a lot of money to the to the president, then that would be a green. And then you're you're kind of like dishing out, you're kind of puzzle. You got this like map, and you're kind of like puzzle puzzle piecing to make sure that the people who are doing the recommending are taken care of. This was my first, really my first boss. And he, he, um, it wasn't, he wasn't like that sage or, of a guy, but he at one point gave very practical and good advice. He said, you either want to be in a high growth market or a high growth product. So go to it, go to some product line that's totally new, that's going to grow and just and just get in there or go to some market that is that is totally new and just get in there. And basically it his advice was a rising ship a rising tide lifts all ships. That's Absolutely. Very, but so so I saw Dubai as that. Hmm. Really I saw so I was working at this bank and the product that I was in would had had collapsed and was the ire attention and the ire of like everyone in the world. And it was a really like, um, it's an interesting environment to be in, but not positive in any way. And you, 
and, and I told you I had this like, I had this, um, this feeling for that, for this period, for like an extended period in my life where I should be in the other place. Mm. You know, when I was in Damascus, I should be back in New York. My, my buddies are all in New York sort of like cutting it up. And then when I was back in New York, oh, I should be back over there because this is like, you know, the whole ship is sinking over here. So, but when it, it, I looked at Dubai and thought that place, like you've got all these people, British guys going over there and like striking a fortune. And I like have an Arabic last name and I speak Arabic and I like, you know, I should be over there. Like that's where I should go. And, and basically that's, like as I saw it as a cosmopolitan place for Arabs of all kinds. And that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I also saw it as a fast, you know, fast growing market. That turned out to be both accurate and inaccurate. It's better characterized as a, as a dynamic market. There yeah. are times when it's flying and there are times when it's recoiling. But it's totally interesting all the time. It's totally dynamic. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I feel like I, I, you know, was was after the environment from a like professional standpoint that I thought would be interesting. There would be opportunities there. Mm -hmm. And then from a from a from like a personal standpoint, it is you here. I grew up as a Palestinian American in Houston, Texas, with an identity firmly rooted in in you know my my place there to come over here and sort of redefine myself and cultivate yes and now i like you know and then and then over time become sort of like the ambassador for my broader family like we have a big family that's here and now i'm you know the person who's you know, largely responsible for making sure that 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 those relationships between my family in Houston and the and the broader family over here stays intact. Mm. That gives me a real purpose. And then my my just demographic profile as an Arab American is good. It's valued. Yes. It's like trusted. It's you know it's best of uh, both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. And then the 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 business opportunity that you know I was in private equity. And that maybe is not there. Like I, the serendipity, the serendipity happened in the in the in the move. Like moving into venture capital when we did was a very very good move. It precipitated, or it I should say, it preceded a, a big regional turn mm. into entrepreneurship. Yes, and you went in just before it became just popular. Before. Yeah, just before. Yeah, and what's what's your thing now? What's your focus as venture souk? as you know, the five founders who are operating fingers on the pulse. What's your intention? Because I know that on the phone you mentioned about, you know, building an ecosystem. Yeah. So perhaps if someone's watching or listening to this and they're, um, they're keen to be part of this ecosystem or they'd like to know in term, what, what you encompass, this would be a great place to, to share perhaps yeah, an overall picture yeah. of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I think at the core, when you distill through everything, our job is to invest into, into what we think are fast growing and, um, and potentially high return investment opportunities, companies. So going early. Going early. Unicamels. Yes. Ideal. Exactly. And, Come in. Right. And I think we're, we're and, there, and there's quite a few people who are doing that. Mm. 
where we're different is that we are realistic in how investors behave here. We understand that investors each see themselves as strategic. In other parts of the world, you have institutional pull of money. Mm -hmm. The U.S., you earn $100,000 and they take $35,000 of that from you. They pull it. Taxes. Sure. That, those taxes go to funding the national budget. A big portion of them go into Social Security. And that Social Security... The 401s and... Yes. Is a massive pool that is used to fund, you know, to fund needs of people in the future. So you're, you're, you're pulled, you have 401ks, you have pensions, you have social security, you have these massive pools of capital that are collected structurally from you. Mm -hmm. And then you have people that are responsible for managing that and they have so much money that they, that they, it's efficient for them to outsource that to, to, to other managers. So here I'm the California pensions and I need to allocate, I want, a, I want to allocate my money to real estate and, and public markets, mutual funds and hedge funds and private equity and venture capital. And my job is just to make sure that those allocations get done. But I'm going to, for venture capital, I'm going to give it to someone else and he's going to manage it. So those, so now you have a, 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 an array of companies that are venture capital firms that rate, that pull this institutional money that by design is there. You know, we, we, they need to give the money to, to this guy to manage on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Here, there's no institutional pull. The money just comes and it sits into your account. That's right. Period. So now you need to, you need to decide whether you invest or, or not invest. That is a totally different, that results in a totally different responsibility or requirement for the venture capital firm. Now my job is to, is to, in a, in a, in a, in a way that is efficient, go and extract from the long tail the capital. We need to mobilize capital that is distributed across a broad number of people mm -hmm. that all have their own requirements, not set up a, not set up a proposition for one large investor who's going to come and, and give me money. So we really need to become a service for a broad number of people who all want to invest into the venture capital ecosystem. But then you have to do things like what we discussed when we were off camera, where you have to educate them yeah. and telling them that it's different here because as a, as a VC, you'll have your, I guess, private fund, if that's what you call it, where if you're looking at 10 deals, you might put the million and you go 100,000 into the 10 deals, which yeah. means that your risk is spread across all 10. Yeah. Whereas one of the things you have to educate an investor is say, like myself, when I said I'd like in on the deals, if I'm putting in my 10K, if this is my only 10K, then the numbers in terms of the risk I'm taking is far higher. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. We are investing into companies at a very early stage that we expect to grow very, very quickly. But there's also a high probability that they're going to fail. Sure. And so in a way, it's kind of like a bet. And you need to play the statistical game. If you're, you, you need to invest into multiple. And what we, what we say is eight to 10 at a minimum for you to be diversified mm -hmm. yourself. So either you give money to a manager and say, you put it into a pool of these companies and there I'm diversified. So if, if, if one of the ones that you pick pops off, then I do well. But if, you know, when nine of them don't do well, then I'm okay. Mm. Or if you don't want to do that, then you need to do it. You need to, you need to replicate that diversification yourself. 
But there's, in, in terms of education, there's, there's two levels here. One is teaching people how to evaluate what could potentially be a successful company or not. And we've talked a lot about the different characteristics of what a successful company should demonstrate at, mm. at an early stage. But two is to understand like the rules of investing yeah. full stop. Like forget about the evaluating the company. Yes. What are the rules? What am I signing up for when I invest? You know, what are the terms that I'm getting? What are the rights that I have in this company? What are the, you know, what am, what are the expectations from me? Yeah. And you know, what sort of documentation is required? And what am I going to, what information am I going to get on a regular basis? How do I file this with my, you know, relevant tax authority? Those, these, you, you need to know this before you invest in anything. And you need to know how to, if I, you need to know how to tell if the company is good or not. Like sure. you could, okay, they've got a lot of views on Instagram, or they've, they've got a lot of followers on Instagram. The product, oh, the product is really cool. I really like this, you know, yogurt parfait with the, like such a cool brand. But there's a lot more to evaluating whether the company is gonna work or not. You sure. need to know that. But you also need to know what is the instrument that I'm, like what actually, when I give the money, what am I getting in return? What is the security that I'm getting yeah. and what are, my, what are my rights with that security? Like and just what are my a, obligations? A simple example of a lot of investors not realizing what they were investing in was when the Bitcoin and blockchain thing was taking off yeah. again in 2018. Yeah. And the number of people who didn't know that when they were buying ICOs or you know, tokens, that it's far different than investing into companies the way yeah. this investment is. Yeah. With an ICO, you're not getting any shares of the company. Right. Nothing. Right. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. And uh, when I was asking people, so many of them didn't know that. Right. Do you run workshops like this education? Yeah, yeah we do. do, do yeah. You provide. Yeah, we do a ton of them. We okay. do a we do a big, open conference for anybody who wants to attend in Abu Dhabi with NYU. Okay. Uh, this is done monthly. No, we do it once a year. It's called Angel Rising. And we've, we've always done it in March, but this year we're doing it in November to, okay. to coincide with the expo. Um, and then we host like, you know, pitch events and smaller investor education. We're doing one next week. So we're doing one a week from, from Tuesday. No I don't know when this is, uh, when this is airing, but we're doing. Yeah, what we'll do is we'll place the links. You provide me the links sure. in terms of um, yeah your regular events or events that are coming up if it's you know monthly or yearly or what have you and we'll place it all in the show, okay. show notes. Okay. Um, that way, wh whoever is watching this, that we don't know when they're going to watch it in terms of time frame. Yeah. They can at least dive into your world. Yeah. And figure out what's the next one you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, we do a ton of these things. Yeah. That's marketing for us. You know. But this is also powerful. Like what you said made me realize. Wow, he's right. Okay, so it's not only the ten thousand. I should have. A pot of a hundred thousand. Yes, and then come to you and say, "Hey, I'd like in on the next ten deals." Yeah, that's right. That that you guys have vetted. That's right. So I can have that kind of the same reduced risk. Yes, absolutely. Spread out. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So that's our job. You know, we evangelize this type of stuff. We we are at the at the end of the day, we and and any venture capital firm really is an intermediary between the people who are investing their 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 cold hard cash. And the companies who are receiving it, mm -hmm. we are we are a function that sits in between, and yes. all venture capital firms are. And that's what that's when you ask me what is the one thing that's a misconception. The misconception is that it's my money. It's not. I'm an intermediary. Mm. I'm not a broker because the way that we operate is different from a broker. But but I am an intermediary between the people who have capital to invest and the companies who are receiving it. And by the way, I'm one of the people who has capital to invest. Yes. But my role in VentureSoup is, is as an intermediary. You're like Match.com. Yeah, I'm like Match.com. In essence, right? Yeah. 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 
the more of this investor education stuff that we do, the more people will come through us. Well, it's that thing of a rising tide raises all ships. Yes. Right? Yeah. You're educating people, you're developing that ecosystem. Yeah. And then ultimately that results in more transactions and everyone benefits across the board. Yeah, absolutely. The point that I was going to make was that as an intermediary, one of the challenges that we always have is for the people to go around. Mm. And all venture capital firms do. They're trying to bypass. Yeah, just like a just like a housing broker. You know, I would rather not pay. There's a fee associated. Two percent. There's a service, yes. but there's also a fee, and I would rather like I'd rather I'll take my chances by not having the service if I don't have to pay the fee, and that's something that we always have to to you know protect against. There is in the moat that the that the venture capital firms have built around themselves historically was driven by two things, asymmetry of information and asymmetry of access. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you don't go through us, then you will not be able to invest in these companies. And we know how to evaluate better than you do. Mm -hmm. You know? But that was in the past. That was in the past. Now with, you know, the availability of information and with platforms like ours, they can go directly in. So it really is collapsing the moat. Like we're in a way, we're kind of like facilitating our own demise, if you will. Sure. But you... But you find a way to Uber yeah. into the next generation. Yeah. Well, what and I think taxi, that's, yeah. taxi riders now exactly. Uber. And we definitely see like we definitely see that. Like that's that's definitely a big part of what drives us is mm. that there is something that's fundamentally broken about VC in the region. Like that same the same purpose that I was okay, these guys exist to take money from big institutions or then give them they're just sub allocators of capital. Mm -hmm. That's not the case here. Here, there, there's no you know large pool that you're pulling from. It's all distributed. So our job is actually to to match make. Well, that becomes a different our like our daily you know what we're doing becomes totally different than what a, a U.S. venture capital firm would do. Mm. So this is something that we've got to you know continue to evolve. Ourselves. Awesome. I'm going to place all the links in the show notes uh, if you're watching or listening, and then um, depending on when you're watching or listening, you'll be able to see what's coming up next. Yeah. Um, a couple of parting questions, personal. What's a guiding philosophy that you're living by? It could be a quote you read when you were at university, something your sister told you, um, you watched it in a movie, but it's in essence that kind of, this is the way you live your life or this is the way you make your decisions by. It's a quote, Okay. which is a John Wooden quote. John Wooden was a very famous basketball coach for UCLA. Yes. And, uh, and he said, I will prepare myself and then, and then perhaps my chance will come. Well, that's a good one. I will prepare myself and then perhaps my chance will come. He was one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yeah, he is. Right? He's considered the greatest coach. Yeah. And I don't even take credit for that. That was my best friend in college used to say that all the time. And I actually, and I, and I took it from him, but, but I adopted it. You know, it's, you just, you just work your, you work your butt off. Yes. And then. The opportunities will come. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, in a world where everyone's distracted and attention seems to be a very rare commodity, if you had sixty seconds of the world's attention, what would be your advice to someone that's perhaps either looking at getting into entrepreneurship, or is perhaps lost in life, or is maybe the younger version of you, maybe fifteen, twenty years ago, whoever you'd like to connect with, what would be some useful advice that they can take on having the wisdom that you have today. 
It's a good question. I hope it's not like the good question, which was one of those generic startup questions. What do you think about start? Uh, Tamara, what do you think about startups? I will slap <laughs> you right now. No, I mean, uh, I think that the advice that I would give is to lean into, there's a, there's a, there's a natural momentum to, to almost everything. Mm. And, and, and feel, that, feel the pulse of where that is and lean into it. It's not dissimilar from the advice that my, my first boss gave me. You know, find a high growth product or find a high growth region. It's, but, but, it's, but maybe my advice is even a little bit broader. There is, there is just, there's a pull, there's a natural pull coming from all, all the time there's a pull. And you should lean into that. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, if you go back to 2006 when I was graduating from college, there was a strong pull. I, I had some certain conviction that I wanted to be in finance, that I wanted to go into banking, that I wanted to go to Wall Street. That was that was driven that was more historically driven than 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 was current. If I had felt the if I had actually felt the pull, then then. I would have gone, you know, go and join Facebook, go and join Google. These are tiny companies at the time yes. in 2000. These are early, early stage companies at the time. And, and I think that if someone is listening to the current, and I think that we try, I try to do that now, then, then that, let that guide you. Let the, let the poll, let the poll guide you. It'll tell you like the, the momentum, there's a natural momentum to things and, and listen to it and it will, t and it will guide you on where to go, you know? That's, that's, that's my general advice. And, and I think the same thing that we need to sort of pay attention to as, yeah. a, as a company. It's easy to overlook it. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, if you, take the, if you take the time to be aware, yeah, you, you'll, you'll feel it. That's really good advice, man. Yeah. That's really good. Hey, thanks. I appreciate you making the time. <laughs> no, thanks for having really me. It, it was awesome. Um, folks, I got so much out of this. There were so many points. And in actual fact, you would have noticed that I, um, I was relatively silent on this episode. Uh, from my usual self, but I took in so much. Watch this video again, listen to this podcast again, because I guarantee that you will get far more the second time. As you know, I take summary notes, which we make available on the website, kevinabdurrahman.org forward slash podcast, type in Tamar and um, it should pop up. Uh, there are gems that was, that was shared and I really appreciate you um, having done that. We'll make all the links from your world available. Uh, that way, whenever you're watching this or whenever you're listening to this, if you'd like to go, and I recommend you do because I will as well, uh, go and get yourself educated if this is something that's of interest. Um, it's extremely powerful. As you know, our show has got nothing to do with showing off. We, help, we hope that with every episode, we can help you get inspired, get informed, and get going. I'm sure we were able to do that with this episode. If there was a thought that was shared um, that you'd like to continue the conversation on, make sure you do so below the video. If you have questions, Ask the questions, I will try and answer them. If they're outside of my domain, perhaps we could ask you to take a moment and answer some of the questions. Yeah. That would be much appreciated. If we're unable to do any of that, uh, we'll get another guest to come in and perhaps answer your questions. Uh, speaking of guests, who would you recommend? I'm actually going to New York next week. Maybe I should hit up John. Is he in New York? Yeah, talk to John. Definitely talk to John. I mean, that's been a, they've, they've, uh... They've had uh, they've had a whirlwind of experience, you know. D d I would talk to John. He's great. He's great, and he's like he will he he's full of kind of like golden snippets, anecdotes, you know, hard hitting 
hard hitting kind of lessons. All right. He's great. He'd be great. Cool. I'm going to head up, John. I'm going to go through my emails from, I think, 2012 or 2013. Yeah. And I'm sure it'll come up. If I can't reach you, John, then I'm going to use my warm referral <laughs> to, to get to you. Hey. It's orange. It's an orange it's referral. A, it's an orange label. Hey. See, it's about learning and putting it into action. And knowledge alone gets you nowhere. Uh, folks, until the next episode, remember, be kind, be ambitious, be grateful. I'm Kevin Abdurrahman. This is How Do They Do It? Man, I appreciate it. All right. That was actually super That was good. Cool. Thank that you. was good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Friends, from whichever corner of the world, you downloaded and listened to this podcast. I hope that my guest and I have given you something to think about, to talk about. Once again, I would appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and reviewing this podcast. It would mean a lot, especially if you resonated with our guest. Doing so will ensure that more people hear the gems that were dropped by our guest. Thank you for taking the time and allowing us in your world and having your attention. I'm Kevin Abdurrahman. This is How Do They Do It.